these eyes will deceive you. They will destroy you. They will take from you your innocence, your pride, and eventually your soul. These eyes do not see what you and I see. Behind these eyes one finds only blackness, the absence of light. These are the eyes of a psychopath. Michael was created by a perfect alignment of interior and exterior factors gone violently wrong. A perfect storm, if you will. Thus creating a psychopath that knows no boundaries and has no boundaries. Hey everyone and welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, your horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie and one episode at a time. I am your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we feeling? I'm doing great. Uh, we've had a week off, but it feels like a month. Like it feels like forever. So I'm, I'm, you know, even though it's Rob Zombie's Halloween, I'm still mm-hmm. so excited to do this episode. It it feels like really weird to, to take a week off. Um, I, we we didn't plan on it originally. I think we just had some trouble lining up with the um, guest and the kind of episode that we had planned. And we thought rather than kind of half-ass it, um, let, let's take like a – without even really saying it, which is like let's just take a well-deserved break. I mean with the holidays and work and, you know, Jerry, I know he have a million writing projects that are up in the air. And I think we've just both been so crazy. We're kind of like eh, – it's probably not a, after like eight months of doing this. It's not the worst thing in the world if we take one week off. Oh, totally. I agree 100%. I feel rejuvenated. Yes, the batteries are recharged. And I think, as Jerry mentioned, with what we're covering tonight, we kind of need it. Um, I would say, you know, dear listener, like, strap in for this one, because it feels like this is going to be a long episode. I think with with Resurrection, I think we were kind of grasping a little bit in terms of, like, how much is there to really talk about here? Um But, you know, the next three episodes for us between the two Rob Zombie entries and the Blumhouse reboot, I think, are going to be just these biblical episodes in terms of their length and content and everything overall. Oh, totally. And and this movie especially, I mean, love it or hate it, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much history with Rob Zombie's Halloween, you know, everything from development, work prints, really bad first drafts, uh, you know, reshoots, whole characters being cut out, you know, like reception so much. There's so much going on with Rob Zombie's Halloween that, like I said, even if you're not a fan, there's still plenty to talk about. Mm -hmm. And this movie is kind of like smack dab in the middle of the reboot era, the 2007 movie, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. The two, it's, it's basically comes at a time when just about every single, not only horror movie franchise, um, but every horror movie that you could have imagined was getting like a re-update or reimagining or a reboot. Like if it was a horror title, it was getting reevaluated and rebooted around this time period overall. I think we we need to go back 
just a few years, so I think 2003, with um, the Michael Bay production, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, which basically showed there was kind of legs in this kind of um, re-update of treatment that rather than have like the 10th, 11th, or 12th movie in a stagnant franchise, let's throw everything out and start over again, which was interesting. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw, uh, Marcus Nispel, his version, uh, I mean, it was really, I, I think, a trailblazer in a lot of ways. And I don't mean the film itself. I just mean like, you know, we had we had the 90s, which w- in a lot of ways it was very like watered down and stuff. Texas Chainsaw came out and it was, I mean, it's a film that's, I, I mean, even more brutal than the, the original. I mean – Everything that you think you saw in the remake of Texas Chainsaw but didn't, you know, is your imagination. Everything you thought you saw, you did see in the Michael Bay mm-hmm. produced film. And I think it really opened the door to horror films, uh, you know, just really going for it. It was also in the middle of uh, – Texas Chainsaw also came out kind of in the middle of that whole – and I hate the, the title, but kind of torture porn. Sure. Era, you know, where we have a lot of just – all out there, balls out, crazy horror, and especially the French extreme movement, which is, I mean, some of my favorite films. I feel like films like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you know, eventually Rob Zombie's Halloween tried very hard to kind of give, uh, you know, kind of like the American answer to the French extreme movement. And I, I think sometimes it worked, and sometimes it just showed that a lot of those French movies just had things to say about them, you know, and using violence kind of as, as a metaphor for a lot to what they say. But when it came to the American films, you know, a lot of it ended up just being kind of gore for gore's sake. So, I mean, it was, it was a very interesting time. I think the, the impression, the, I remember walking out of the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre and thinking, I would have gotten this, and I, I've come around a bit on the movie, watching it uh, a few more times in the in the following years. But I remember going to see it with my sister, and mm-hmm. I turned and I looked at her after, and I said, you know, I think I would have gotten the same effect as if someone took one of those giant sacks of meat uh, that you would see at a Taco Bell, like all the ground beef in these clear mm-hmm. plastic sacks. And you just film someone like hitting that bag with a baseball bat for like 90 minutes, you would have had the same kind of effect overall. Like to me, it didn't work for me initially, although I've come around. It'll be interesting to talk about that one when we get to that franchise. I've come around a bit on it. But what you can, whether you love or hate the movie, and I think more people love that movie, what you couldn't deny is how successful it was. Um, on a budget of less than $10 million, which for Michael Bay, like Michael Bay spends that on like craft toilet services paper. in a week, <laughs> right? A toilet paper, basically. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's his, yeah, that's his TP budget. You know, that's his cocaine budget for week two, yeah. basically. Um, I don't know if Michael Bay does cocaine. I shouldn't uh. say things like that. I should keep my <laughs> mouth shut. Edit, edit, edit. I'm sure he's a fine, I think he's straight edge. Matter of uh. fact, I'm pretty sure Michael Bay was doing youth crew vocals on Out of Step on the initial Minor Threat 7-inch. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Michael Bay is definitely He's definitely good. stepping stone. We're good, no, uh, <laughs> um, but it made on a t- less than ten million dollars. It made over eighty million in the U.S. Another twenty-seven across the globe. I mean, it makes one hundred and eight million dollars in two thousand three. And, you know, now Platinum, um, New Line, Platinum Dune are like, what else can we get our hands on at this point? Well, also, I mean, I I think it's also 100 percent what you just said. I agree. I also think it's kind of important to to realize what Texas Chainsaw also did was show studios. uh, Unfortunately, uh, showed studios that if you have an IP that will already bring people into seats, you know, that's that's the new key. People knew the kind of uh, mythos and legend of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original film, and you know how controversial it was. So going into the remake, they kind of knew, okay, we love this series, either that or we actually know it. We're going to go in, you know, having something that people knew. After Texas Chainsaw, that became the regular. You know, you you would get reboots of almost like you said every horror franchise, mm-hmm. and also every single one of those reboots would kind of do almost the kind of similar thing, you know, like they would, what we got after Texas Texas Chainsaw, uh, the Michael Bay produced one is an over explanation of, uh, our antagonists, which I think is a really poor trend that kind of came from it. You know, Texas Chainsaw, you find out, you know, basically Leatherface is just unemployed and with he has a skin condition. So he chops people up and eats mm-hmm. them basically, you know, help feed his family. Then you get nightmare on Elm street with kind of backstory with Freddie. Oh no. You know, is he maybe innocent? You know, you get Friday the 13th where, you know, it shows basically Jason grows, you know, grows pot. He has an underground cavern, you know, this it's just over explaining. And then what we get eventually is I think the one remake that tries to do the explanation times 40. And that is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is the one film that if you ask fans, you know, of, of, are not fans, but if you ask horror fans with their thoughts on Rob Zombie's Halloween, the ones that don't appreciate the film are the ones that were kind of frustrated with exactly what we got. You know, we, we get this explanation of everything that we never wanted to be, have explained. I mean, the, the, the mystery, uh, you know, like just the, everything imagination, the fears in your head that you watched in the original Halloween, you don't feel that with this one because we know every single thing about Michael Myers and it, it, it takes away any right. mystery and danger that, that we had with the character. One of the things I think that's important, too, and I think we're going to dive really into that when we get specifically into the movie, because I think that's a critical point, and I think that's a crucial point, and something that I think you've you've addressed before, like, in passing, and I'm really looking forward to, like, diving into the meat and potatoes of that later on, is it wasn't just that you had an IP, but you were doing something kind of new with the IP again, because this is Texas Chainsaw's reboot is one year after Halloween resurrection hits theaters and resurrection, although it's not a failure, it kind of peters. Um, it pulls in about half of what H2O had done four years ago, um, to the tune of like 30 million bucks, uh, and another like 35 or so worldwide. So, a little bit more than half, and you. It wasn't that audiences wanted the next chapter in our long-going series. 
Like if the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot was, say, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 5, I don't think it would have been as successful overall. You have these fans now, young fans that maybe had grew up on the original movies, now wanted – they wanted like basically what we got. They wanted franchises to call their own, and they wanted familiar characters – but they didn't want to go through necessarily 30 years of history and a dozen convoluted sequels to kind of like grasp onto them at that point. Also, Oh yeah, totally. And also I think it was smart as far as marketing, but not execution that what made all these remakes very successful, I think uh, was that it was to, it was at the point where studios were like, okay, we're not going to get people in seats if we say, oh, you know, Halloween 10 or Halloween 9. You know, if, if we have Nightmare on Elm Street 400, people aren't going to care. But what we have now that we could use as marketing is, you know, a new, you know, reimagining of Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, oh, a new take on Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, Rob Zombie tackles John Carpenter's classic Halloween. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where they didn't have – you know, Halloween five, six and, you know, H two O and all these other movies, they didn't bill them as like, you know, Halloween resurrection, a sequel to John Carpenter's Halloween, you know, cause it was so far from that. Whereas zombies film and Marcus Nispel's Texas chains on all those others, they were very much marketed to draw people in based on the original films that those people liked, not the sequels that had declining quality. No, exactly that. And I think that embracing of the original, creators in the original titles and saying like it's an update on that and not what you had seen before mm-hmm. is is a very big reason whether or not you thought that was a successful update it was a very big reason why um these things were so successful for a short while so you end up having movies like you know dawn of the dead um put Zack snyder on the map basically mm-hmm. with a reboot of romero's film which Takes a, a uses similar locations, but is like a completely different movie in tone and feel uh, overall. You see movies like The Last House on the Left get the reboot treatment. The Hills of Eyes gets the reboot treatment. Uh, when a Stranger Calls, The Omen. Um, 2006, you have Black Christmas, you know, which is rebooted again uh, this weekend as we kind of go into it. John Carpenter, like basically a lot of John Carpenter and Wes Craven movies get remade during this time period. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, t- oh totally. It seemed like that w- they those two guys were the uh, go-to people to, mm-hmm. to reboot their stuff, especially Carpenter. Oh, yeah. I mean, you get, you know, Assault in Precinct 13, the remake, which, I mean, fuck, man, that movie's awful. Uh, the remake, not the original. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Or The Fog, you know, The Fog. And then eventually, like, you know, the big guns like Halloween, you know, like uh, it, it, it was interesting because I remember during that era, it almost seemed like every year we'd get a new Carpenter reboot. I mean, even right. even movies that tried to act like they weren't. I mean, uh, uh, what was it? Lockout? Is that the movie with Guy Pierce mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that? That basically they got sued for basically remaking Escape from New York and, you know, Carpenter won. So, I mean, it, it was it was to the point where they were rebooting these films even without even acknowledging that they were. It would be really interesting if, if, if there was like, say, someone who's really good with the nuts and bolts of the financials overall. I would love to see 
what Carpenter made on the original movies that he created versus the reboots. Because oh, you know sure. he's getting like a production credit and you know he's and he, he was very he was very open of saying like I will hold out my hand, you will put a check in my hand, that check will have a number of zeros at the end of it. <laughs> and then you have my blessing to do whatever you want. You know what's uh, funny about that is is Carpenter always has this reputation of being this like old curmudgeon, you know, grumpy guy. But I think that that's kind of funny and it's mm-hmm. it's almost like karma in a way, you know? Carpenter didn't make shit from the first couple Halloweens, you know? And you know, it was mostly the Akkads and everyone else that kind of brought in, you know, got the dough. But uh I think it's funny that Carpenter finally got to a point where he's just like, you know what? They're going to remake my stuff. I'm going to get mm-hmm. a lot of money from it. So why don't I just right. reach my hand out? And I, I don't see that as a negative thing. No. You know, he knows that he knows that Hollywood is going to shit on his films, you know, and he knows they're probably not going to do a good job. So why not get paid, you know, yeah. for that? Stephen King was once famously asked, like, doesn't it? Because there was, you know, right now we're living in the middle of a Stephen King renaissance, although I might argue that it's kind of. It's hit its crest and now is maybe on the downside a little bit. Although it would be interesting to see when the outsider comes out if that um, maybe sparks another wave. But Stephen King was once asked in like the late '80s or early '90s when a lot of the adaptations of King's work were, you know, not so great. Um, like, doesn't it ever bother you that your um, your work is is just it's not getting the treatment it should in Hollywood overall, like whether it's on a TV screen or whether it's in the theater, like it's lesser quality. And, you know, and King's response was along the lines of like, not at all. Like, number one, I get paid. And number two, I thought more importantly was it doesn't change the words on the page at all. Like my work still stands and it will stand for all of time. And, you know, if you're John Carpenter and you're like, Go ahead and remake my movies. Like the if anything, your work is going to suffer in comparison to what I did. I'm going to get paid, and nothing's going to change the appreciation for what I created anyway. That and I mean, from Carpenter's perspective, I mean, I'd be kind of annoyed with the whole situation. I mean, you know, I I was at a, a Fangoria Weekend of Horrors convention once, and Carpenter was doing a panel, mm-hmm. and the moderator was kind of going film by film of his filmography until Carpenter cut him off after the third or fourth film saying, look, all of my movies have the same story. They came out, they didn't make money. And years later, people loved them, you know? So when it comes to for real, I mean, I remember laughing my ass off during that panel, you know, he was just like, you know what? Let's just go to ask the crowd questions. Like, it's the same story for every movie. You know, they bomb. Nobody likes it. Years later, they think it's a classic. You know, so so when Hollywood's coming to Carpenter with this idea, like, I'm going to remake this. I'm going to remake that. Like, it's kind of a fuck you in a good way to say, you know what? Yeah, pay me because, you know what I mean? Like, he worked his ass off on so many right. movies that weren't appreciated for decades. Right. And let's face it. Like, when you, let's say you like, take a movie like The Fog, which is – it is what it is. Tom Welling, God love him, great Superman. He's no Tom Atkins. No, not at right? all. I mean, oh man, the fog. You know what's funny? My kids, uh, Dexter and Dahlia, they love Carpenter's Fog with a passion. I mean, they think it's mm-hmm. one of the best movies ever. Uh, 
you know, I, I picked them up for my week with them because, you know, I, I back and forth and uh, like about a year or two ago. And I was just like, you know, did you guys do anything fun this week? And they were like, yeah, we watched The Fog. I was like, oh, that's cool. You like that movie, right? And my son, who was probably eight at the time, said, nah, dad, it's the remake. I, I really didn't have fun. <laughs> like, my kids knew that it was a disaster. Yeah, that's great. Like, oh, yeah, and that's fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, but let them get paid. But basically, this is a long way around so far. And I think as, as listeners, as we hit like the 20 minute mark of our recording right now, and we haven't <laughs> even like touched on a moment of this of the movie we're covering i think you can kind of tell what you're in for uh tonight overall but what were some of the ideas before rob zombie comes on board what were some of the ideas that were um going into halloween nine you know it, it was an interesting time because you know they were faced with the the decision to make whether or not to keep going with the sequels or start from scratch. And I feel like the series had really ran itself into a wall for the last couple of movies, you know? Uh, I mean, there are, there were plenty of other films trying to be developed. I mean, I, I think that as far as development, there were more like false starts and different mm-hmm. stories, you know, for uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween two or after that, uh, I mean, what, I don't remember there being a lot of different takes on the table of of this one before Zombie. I mean, there was a couple, but I don't I don't remember it being as crazy as like before or after. There are some interesting behind and tragic behind the scene things that are going on here. Um, there is some discussion right after Resurrection comes out. Like, look, now we don't have Laurie Strode. Now mm-hmm. we don't have Doctor Loomis. Do we just get away from Michael Myers for a little bit and do a anthology film a la Halloween 3? Well, that's quickly – they decide no. Um, in 2005, um, the man who basically shepherded the Halloween franchise from its inception, uh, Mustafa Akkad, along with his daughter, uh, they're killed uh, in a terrorist attack in Jordan, which very tragic. Um it's a man who, outside of the Halloween series, had spent years um, trying to bring uh, his own, you know, produced films on his Islamic faith and, you know, the beauty and peace that is involved with it overall, and try to show the world, like, you know, what a wonderful religion it can be. And he's murdered by Islamic terrorists in a uh, attack and a bombing. Um, and whether or not you agreed with Mustafa Arkad's vision with the Halloween franchise at times, you can't say that he didn't fight for it. You can't say that he was just lazy and holding his hand out and saying like, do what you want with it. As long as you know, you, I get my back end of whatever is owed to me. Like he really wanted to see uh, this franchise and these characters succeed. And that, even if that, you, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. Uh, I was just saying that, even if you weren't a fan of the last few movies before this, one thing that has been consistent, it, it was Mustafa Akkad. And in a lot of ways, and this might sound like a silly uh, comparison, but in a lot of ways, Mustafa Akkad to me kind of felt like that uh, win character in Halloween 6. You know, Mustafa Akkad was very much the protector of Michael Myers throughout mm-hmm. the whole franchise. You know, 
he was the one that had these passionate ideas. He was the one that said, no, we need Michael Myers back. He is what people want to see. And it was Mustafa Khan was so just in love with this franchise, you know, that he he gave so many people chances to, you know, to 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 direct to direct, to write, to act. You know, Mustafa Khan, I think, doesn't get enough credit for being the person who really kind of held the franchise's hand throughout the decades. So when he died, you know, in that awful tragedy, you know, it kind of fell on Malika Khan, who, you know, grew up with the franchise, obviously, you know, was on set growing up. You know, I, I you know, I think it was the first film that he was kind of actively involved with, I think. If I remember correctly, was was it Halloween? Was it five or six? Uh, you know, Malik came on board, and and that's kind of his film school in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The Halloween franchise. So when Mustafa passed away, it was very much on Malik to keep the series alive and well. And I think the decision to kind of start from scratch was an inspired one, you know, and though I'm not a fan of what we got, you know, with the, the remake, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like it was necessary to start over after everything, you know, Mm -hmm. you needed that clean slate kind of like how David Gordon Green's film did, you know, it it was, it's not a remake, you know, it's a sequel to the original, but it was smart and wiping the, you know, the chalkboard off, you know, and given fans exactly what they wanted to return to form. I feel like that was the intent with Rob Zombie's Halloween. I just, and I'll probably get shit for saying this. I just think Rob Zombie was the worst person to do it because mm-hmm. if you really think about it, pr- like prior to Halloween, I mean, Rob Zombie basically made an MTV version of Texas Chainsaw with House of a Thousand Corpses. Made a Sam Peckinpah like Western horror film with Devil's Rejects. You know, I I don't see how those films made anybody go, man. That is the person to remake right. John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, because everything that John Carpenter's Halloween was is the opposite of everything that Rob Zombie's films are. And I don't even mean that as an insult. They're just not the same kind of movies. So to bring a filmmaker in to do this remake to Helmet, to write it especially, uh, it's not the direction that bothers me when it comes to Zombie in this movie. It's the writing. Uh, I think it's some of... You know, it's it's unfortunate. They they choose Rob Zombie to to make Mm -hmm. this movie. And what we end up getting is basically, like I said, the opposite of the original in the sense that there is not a single character in Rob Zombie's film that is likable. Right. It should have been called Assholes the Movie. They're, <laughs> like, I can't think, like, and what's the, the most unfortunate thing, and I'll probably get on a few rants, so I apologize, listeners, but I am mm-hmm. very passionate about this because, to be honest, it is a remake of my favorite movie of all time. And no, it doesn't affect my love for the original at all. It did not ruin your childhood. It didn't ruin my childhood. You know, I still have Halloween. Just like, sorry, bros. I still have my Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a new crowd has the new one. But with Halloween, it bothers me because one of my favorite things about the original is how likable and relatable the characters are. Right. You know? And you know it right from the first time you see Lori, Annie, and Linda together, you know, kind of recreating that iconic scene from the original of walking. You know right from the beginning that these are not people who are good, nice people. 
you know, everything from like Daniel Harris's Annie character screaming, you know, my dad's a sheriff. What are you going to do? Kind of shit. You know, right. to, to the, the first introduction of Laurie Strode is her like finger blasting a bagel in front of her mom while making sex noises. Exactly. And, and that, that, it's infuriating. And, and not just any mom, but E.T.'s mom. <sighs> Fucking A. <laughs> Already that episode. No, uh, you know, it, it's it. There's so much about the characters that drives me nuts in this movie mm. so much that I pulled up the one part of Halloween that bothers me the most. And I will quote it right. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to quote it cause I have to find it. Cause it's going to okay, be, okay. so we'll get to that. But I do, I do have a quote in front of me though. Cause as you were talking about the pairing of the director with the material and yeah, how Rob zombie, who I do think has strengths as a director. Um, there's a quote from Albert Einstein, Stein, talking about about intelligence and he wrote everyone's a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it's going to live its whole life believing it's stupid Mm -hmm. and i think that's you know like is rob zombie a terrible director i would say no i mean i would say he's done movies that i've enjoyed some much more than others overall um but it's not necessarily a very good the, the material I guess the expectations for the material and the person you're giving it to, they just don't match up with one another. And it's an interesting time for horror because you do have this like up and coming crew of directors. Like just like in the seventies, you had Toby Hooper, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, um, all, you know, basically like mining their craft and, and looking at the chops. Now in the early two thousands, you have not only you have this new, what was called at the time in the press, the splat pack a take off like the 1980s, mm-hmm. um, you know, brat pack with like Rob Lowe and whatnot. Um, now you have the splat pack. You have these new directors like Eli Roth, who is coming to prominence with first cabin fever. And then, uh, the hostile film, you have, mm-hmm. uh, Alexander Aja, um, with high tension, as you had mentioned, like the French extreme. Um, and that's a movie that catches a lot of eyes here over in the States. You yeah. have, um, Adam green with uh, hatchet, uh, billed as like a school, uh, a return to old school American, uh, horror or, uh, old school slasher movies. And you have Rob zombie with first with the, and it's going to be fascinating one day when we eventually get to a house of a thousand corpses, Because that movie has such a troubled history. Um, And I would say I try to watch that movie every other year and say, this is going to be the time that I enjoy it. (laughs) That's funny because I do the same exact thing. (laughs) Oh, and every time, like 20 minutes in, I'm like, nope. Nope." (laughs) I love that opening scene. I love that Mm -hmm. opening scene with the passion, but everything after that I can't do. Mm -hmm. No, but – uh, I got that quote here and you know, this is jumping ahead just a little bit, but I do think it's important in what I was saying about dialogue and the characters. This is an actual quote from the movie that I think sums up Rob Zombie's Halloween. And this is between Annie and Laurie. This is the whole exchange. You, my dear, will be happy to know that I talked to Paul about his buddy, Ben Schramer. Oh, I thought you said Ben Schramer was retarded. Yeah, but he's not short bus mm-hmm. retarded or anything. That is Rob Zombie's Halloween. You know what I mean? The characters are so despicable that, like, that's supposed to be funny. You know? And and even the development, even 
jumping back a little bit, the development of Rob Zombie's Halloween was troubled. I mean, the first drafts of the film had Michael Myers murdering animals, masturbating over Polaroids of their corpses, killing a young girl uh, after school, putting her in a hole and urinating all over her. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how the f- I'm, you know, I'm. S- there's going to be a lot of profanity in this episode, so I apologize. But how the fuck is that Halloween? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's what I would expect a prepubescent boy to write. Exactly. That is how I've always felt. It feels like a kid that's super into vaping and slam poetry and monster energy drinks was hired to make Halloween. Like it's just, <laughs> Dude, there is just some slam poetry. I'm not, but slam poetry is fine. I just mean like the dudes that hang out in front of like vape bars that talk about how like profound tools lyrics are, you know, 1994 (laughs) me is so pissed off right now. (laughs) And I am going to write an edgy beat poem about it and lead with that next week. Well, it's, it's just funny because like Mm -hmm. right from the get go, even the opening of this movie, the first half, I remember sitting in the theater going, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm all for giving new takes on movies. I mean, you know, I'm not going to go into detail about this movie because it's nothing to do with Halloween. But, you know, I loved the new Black Christmas. Was it the old Black Christmas? Not at all. At sometimes, not even the same genre. But I'm okay with new takes. I love the Suspiria remake. It was nothing like the original. I'm fine with giving everything a shot. But when you make... Every single character in your film, so despicable. And, you know, I hate to use the term white trash, you know, but when you make every character kind of the stereotypical white trash character Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to sympathize for Michael Myers, but right from the beginning, he's a brat who basically snaps and kills his family because his stripper mom and his sister wouldn't take him trick-or-treating he's a long-haired kiss fan who kills people because he's mm-hmm. like that's michael myers you know let's save a little bit of the character work for our six of this podcast uh which i do want to get i do want to get to that uh because yeah. you're absolutely there's no debating anything you can say um just so you know for the next 13 minutes i am going to speak in a slam poet style of, I won't do that because we'll have no, we'll have no listeners left. Oh, you're so mad. Um, I am, I'm, dude. I am super mad about this right now. Um, but you're right. I mean, getting like number one, like getting back to that quote about you know about using like the term retard as, as a slur. Um, it's not one of those. It, it wasn't done in a way that you know points to a character being flawed or someone you're going to root against it's i think like genuinely how rob zombie feels like kids that age talk and yeah. most don't and that's, some do no, some not do, at all some do most don't and the ones that do um aren't the annies of the world not at all except Oh, no, totally. I could see William Forsythe's character talking like that, you know, and I I feel like I mean, you're right. I feel like that is how Rob Zombie thinks young people talk. And I, I think maybe that there's this like confidence of like, man, I'm going to make this realistic how they really talk. And you know what I mean? Like no one talks like that. 
and the people that do are a small group. And you have to make a film where your protagonist is at least a little bit likable Mm -hmm. or else you lose your audience. And I feel like, you know, you get the over explanation of Michael, you know, he's, he's troubled. He has an abusive stepdad. His mom's a stripper. His sister sleeps around and, you know, hates eggs. Like, (laughs) I mean, there's, it's so much, it's like the, it's like everything and the kitchen sink as far as stereotypes thrown into the movie right at the beginning. And you get this first half of the film where you even introduce, and this is what bothers me a lot too. You, you, you bring in Malcolm McDowell, the Malcolm McDowell to play Dr. Loomis. And when I heard that casting initially, I was like, wow, this is going to be great. But you take Dr. Loomis and you make him a raging asshole. And even Zombie said when the first film came out or was making, he had like, you know, he said that he was a fan of the original Halloween. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why he wanted to do it. But I remember reading interviews and all this stuff where he did nothing but kind of talk trash about it. Mm-hmm. You know, basically saying that all Loomis was in the original is a guy to show up, give these really dramatic monologues and be useless. And I think that that says a lot about what Zombie wanted to accomplish with Halloween. Like, he turned a character that he thought was useless into an asshole. Mm-hmm. He took Michael Myers, who was scary because we don't know anything about him, and turned him to an asshole. We, he took three very likable characters in the first one, or the original, and turned them into assholes. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that Rob Zombie just does not like people. I Yeah. That's I mean, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And and I can say that as a huge fan of some of his movies. I loved Three from Hell. You know? Uh are you still there? Sorry. I'll be here. Uh, I love Three from Hell. I love Lords of Salem with a passion. I mean, I have the logo for Lords of Salem tattooed on my neck, and I have a whole chess piece of Devil's Rejects. Like I love some of his movies, but that works in those kind of movies that doesn't work in a Halloween film. And it, I, I think it's really bad when a reboot, which is supposed to be a new beginning for a series takes steps back even more than Halloween six or H2O did. Like, I, I feel like though it was very successful, I feel like Rob zombies, Halloween really put forth this very toxic mentality in a lot of horror films that came after it. Well, let's you know. Let's get to Rob Zombie getting picked first. Um, let's talk a little bit about his because what's very interesting here is prior to signing on for Halloween, like Rob Zombie had a very negative outlook on making on rebooting these horror movies because obviously he'd probably been approached to do a lot of different things during this time period i mean basically it's open season on any and all horror properties under the sun so in 2002 he's interviewed by the site arrow in the head mm-hmm. and this is a quote um i feel when asked directly about um reboots i feel it's the worst thing any filmmaker can do i actually <laughs> got a call from my agent and they asked me if I wanted to be involved in a remake of Chainsaw. I said, no fucking way. Those movies are perfect. You're only going to make yourself look like an asshole by remaking them. Go remake something that's a piece of shit and make it good. Like with my movie, I have elements of Chainsaw in it because I love that movie so much. But I wouldn't dare to want to remake it. It's like a band trying to be another band. 
And that's an interesting quote because I almost got snarky there and said, I already did remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre twice uh, with my first two movies, which is, you know, unfair and untrue. Um, Although there are, you know, elements, especially in Devil's Reject, that I think owe to Toby Hooper's movie. Um, And House of a Thousand Corpses is just really like a more bananas Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two. Yeah. so it's really it's interesting that you know four years later he signs on for Halloween, and I think and I don't have the quote in front of me I believe, um, but I think basically his ideal was like you know what, um, well one thing he said is that he, he you know what it's basically someone's going to remake it and it might as well be me. Like, I don't want someone else to fuck this movie up. If someone's going to, it's almost like I'm going to take one for the team because no one's going to like what comes out of this, no matter what. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that statement, and I've heard that multiple times by different people. It's always like this driven me nuts. Well, somebody's going to do it. It might as well be me because I'm so protective. Mm -hmm. Obviously he wasn't because we got 2007's Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I went to a screening once. Uh, at the New Beverly Theater in in L.A. And it was a double feature of um, Myers Darkey's original I Spit on Your Grave and a special screening of the remake. And I remember the director of the remake said basically the same exact thing. I love the original so much that it had to be me that did it because someone else would screw it up. You know, and that that's also a guy that went on to make a whole franchise based on, you know, movies with rape as a plot device. You know, like this idea that Oh, it's going to be done, so I'm the guy that needs to do it. Like, I think that's such a fucking, like, entitled way to look at things. You know, because Rob Zombie might have loved John Carpenter's Halloween, and I'm not saying he didn't. But at the same time, I feel like if you love something, you got to have a respect for what it was and what Mm -hmm. it accomplished. I feel like Marcus Nispel did have a respect for Tanks' Chainsaw. You know, I... I feel like some other directors of, of remakes. I mean, fuck, Alexander Aja, his remake of The Hills Have Eyes, in my opinion, is better than the original. Mm-hmm. Like, because he, he had such a such a uh, reverence and such mm-hmm. a respect for Craven's film. Whereas, and a clear vision and a clear vision for what he wanted to accomplish. Very. But with Rob Zombie, I mean, I remember around the time, every interview he came out, he was just saying about things he didn't like about the original. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I don't like that Michael drove. I think that's dumb. I think it's dumb that, you know, Loomis basically just shows up to be dramatic. I don't like this. I don't like that. It's like, mm-hmm. how much did you like Halloween then? So and I know? think it's I think it's telling, though. I think that it is a little bit telling psychologically that when it came to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like he was very willing to borrow elements of the movie uh, as he was kind of feeling his way around as a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, these are the elements I want to borrow. But no, I will absolutely not touch a remake of this movie with a thousand foot pole. But when it came to Halloween, he's like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll change my and he had a you know, pretty clear cut like line in the stand stand. And, you know, like, this is what I want to do. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll take a whack at it. Um, and I think, you know, this is another I, – I, I wonder, because here's another quote I'm going to do. This is from Scream Magazine. It's We're taking this from, again, from the book Taking Shape, the developing Halloween from script to scream, which any – not just Halloween fan, but, like, horror movie fan should really own this yeah. book. Um, I think it's less about – maybe Carpenter's movie and every movie that came after it. Cause here's what he says. 
The fans will say whatever they will say, but they don't know how this industry works. And this is originally in Scream Magazine, which you write for, Jerry, correct? I do, and I, I believe that that interview was done by Justin Beam, too. So okay. I'm him. Excellent. All right. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon all up in the shit. <laughs> um, so they, they say, Rob Zombie destroyed the Halloween franchise. No, I pulled the franchise out of the direct-to-video world, my friend. That is where it was headed when I came on board. They've been trying to make a movie for five years with ten different scripts, and it was going nowhere. So and there is truth to that. I mean, that is a hard statement to argue. Because it had been five years since we had seen a Halloween movie. The box office had dropped in half from H2O to Resurrection, basically. And mm-hmm. before that, uh, H2O did basically what parts three through six had done um, in box office. So it wasn't outside of the first two movies in H2O. They weren't massive box office successes. So it wasn't too hard to imagine the Weinsteins and uh, Dimension Films just saying, screw it, we're going to go the Hellraiser route and we're just going to put out like direct to DVD, cheapy Halloween movies yeah. every year. Oh, no, totally. You know, I, and I think that that's cool. I, I agree with his quote on that. Yeah, it was heading that direction, you know, and uh, like I said earlier, like I, I feel like a clean slate was a smart choice. I just I think that there's so much uh, contradictory stuff that came from zombie during that time. You know, I, I'll never do a remake. That's that's ridiculous. I'm doing Halloween or the one that drives me nuts the most is he was like, oh, I'm only going off of the first film. I've never seen the other ones. I, you know, I don't want to watch that shit. Well, guess what? Lori wasn't Michael's sister in the first one, Rob. You know, <laughs> like obviously he had seen those movies. You know, this this too cool for school mentality kind of like backfires because he lifted from scenes of the second film, like with the connection. And his Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 begins kind of like the whole second half of Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just feel like <sighs> – you know, it, it's like when we talked about Freddy versus Jason and Ronnie Yu. You know, I, I, I feel like Rob Zombie just didn't – he didn't have a respect for the characters that he was trying to recreate. You know, he took he took these characters and made them like polar opposites of who they were in the original, and that's what made people love the original. And I could mm-hmm. totally understand why people would – despise this movie because in a lot of ways i do too for that reason it's it's just and you know we asked our listeners uh if they had any questions about this and one of them mentioned uh i believe it was brian keipner mentioned kind of the idea of like well why use the sister thing again you know and i feel like that's a really interesting and relevant question because i mean I feel like the film, not just the series before, but I also feel like this film is held back by that twist. You know, mm-hmm. like there's no mystery involved. There's none of that. And I do feel like, you know, a lot of people, I think even Dan Farron's, uh might have, might think the opposite of what I feel. And I can only watch the second half of Rob Zombie's first Halloween because I cannot stand everything about the child version of Michael Myers, everything from the performances to like the, like just the ambiance. 
it's hard to watch because it's so offensive. See, that's really interesting because I usually find myself tapping out after the first half. You know, most people agree with you. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't really need to see like John Carpenter's Halloween played on fast forward. No, no, totally. I, I agree with you. I, I just mean as far as like if I had to separate what I am able to watch from what I'm not, the mm-hmm. second half is just like the second half feels like a really good fan film of the original in my, in, you know, kind of that's how I feel about it. And I feel like if the original didn't exist, if the original didn't exist and Rob Zombie just made this film, if he was the first person that made Halloween and it was exactly the same, mm-hmm. I would still, I would still despise the first half. Yeah. Because I'm fine for films about bad people i mean i love henry portrait of a serial killer you know i like zodiac i like you know i like films that kind of focus on the dark sides of of people's psyche and like who they are but at the same time there has to be some Mm -hmm. silver lining of hope not even just hope but of a single character that you kind of want to survive that you want to get out like I think D. Wallace is the only character in Rob Zombie's Halloween that I don't want to shoot myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, her and the father. Like, there's some moments of like sweet dorkiness that is there. Yeah, um, that you know that's pretty that that. Um, but that's really it. You, know, you just mentioned Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Like, you need a Becky. You know what you have in Henry Portrait of a Serial yeah. Killer. Like, you need a Becky to root for. Um, and I just don't think that Rob Zombie is very interested in the Beckys of the world. In He's that, not, you could tell from like every one of his movies, he doesn't want. I think Rob Zombie hates the fact that sometimes life is black and white. You know, all of Rob Zombie's villains end up being heroic in some ways, to mm-hmm. him, and all of his heroes end up being shittier than the villains. You know, and I, that goes really well into Halloween. It does. And I think that if you didn't have the original source material, if this was just like a – if this was not called Halloween, if it was just about a movie called like The Birth of a Serial Killer and you had like – because that's really what this is. And you you look at nature versus nurture and this is all nature. I'm sorry, nurture. This is all nurture. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Where John Carpenter's is purely nature. It wouldn't even bother to really attack that question at all. Um, And I lost a little bit of track of where I was going at that because I screwed myself up with my Psych 101. I'm now ashamed of myself. Um, But, you know, if you just had like a generic serial killer movie, I think you would have like a successful, like we would look back fairly fondly on it. We would say this is a pretty decent follow-up to The Devil's Reject overall, and it shows a little bit of an evolution of of Zombie as a filmmaker, because he shoots a pretty good-looking movie overall. It's just the problems I have was not with how this movie looks, but it's with the script. It's with every piece of dialogue coming out of um, the character's mouth. That's really the issues that I have overall with this movie. Well, you know, it, it sucks because I remember sitting uh, in the theater watching this film, and I saw, I think, two films that day. I think I saw Halloween, and then I saw James Wan's Death Sentence, which, god damn, that's a good movie. Uh, but, you know, I – god, like, <laughs> I'm just getting frustrated. You know, you get that scene at the dinner table in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember sitting in the theater watching this, watching that. You know, Michael comes down. Ronnie starts calling him Michelle, trying to provoke him. Mm-hmm. You know, or or Judith Strode tries to get Michael out of the bathroom where he's killing animals. And mm-hmm. he just yells obnoxiously to annoy her. You know, like everything about that opening, every single thing I think is fundamentally offensive to me. And I don't mean offensive like, you know, I have thick I have thin skin, everything bothers me. I think that it's offensive to John Carpenter's Halloween. It's offensive to fans of the Halloween franchise. I think this film hates fans of the Halloween franchise. I think this film hates Halloween in general. It shows by every single character being nothing nothing like the original. In the sense that, like, even down to casting, I mean, I don't have a, a problem about Dag Farrick, you know, as a person. I'm, I'm sure he's good. I think his rap videos are pretty fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it's impossible to watch that actor as young Michael Myers. Like, you kind of want to turn the movie off because it's just like, I despise this character Mm-hmm. This kid, this kid is every fucking bro who gets pissed and labels being in the friend zone when he doesn't get his way. Oh, this I is, didn't see that. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is the motherfucker. You know, I, I had a friend a while back who was at a bar with, uh, with her fiance and all of her friends. And this, when her fiance was in the bathroom, this other dude came up to her and started hitting on her. And she politely said, I'm not interested. So the guy picked up a glass, slammed it in her face, and she had to get plastic surgery over it. That is Michael Myers and Rob Zombie's Halloween to me. You know, like we're supposed to be sympathetic towards him getting bullied by Junie from Spy Kids. But how are we sympathetic towards him when the principal comes in and tries to help him and Michael Myers tells him to go fuck himself? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're we're supposed to be sympathetic towards him when he beats the bully to death with the big stick in the woods. When we know goddamn well he was gonna murder someone anyways, even if he wasn't bullied. Mm-hmm. There is something about this Michael Myers that it's not just pure evil. It is pure entitlement with Michael Myers in this film in so much, in so many different ways. You know, like I, I there there isn't a single other remake, in my opinion, that takes the source material and takes the slasher icon and completely shits on it as much as this movie does. It's just to me. So I just think that maybe the issue you have with Dag Farrick is just the fact that it exposes Michael Myers so much. It's too much of him. Like what you get in John Carpenter's movie, and it isn't fair. I mean, I don't want to make this like a, a show where we just compare the original you know it would be like i don't know i'm gonna do some really obscene comparison there but basically it's not it's not fair to like compare the i mean you have to do some comparison to it overall but in the original halloween the shock you get is from you know as an audience member seeing this like eight six-year-old boy take off that mask and you see this like 
curly haired, cute as a button little kid standing on a sidewalk with a carving knife in his hand while his two parents, like the mom just like puts her hands in the pocket and you have that beautiful crane shot going up. Um, It's almost like something out of a snow globe. Like the parents have no comprehension whatsoever as to what they're about to walk into. And then 15 years later, here Mm -hmm. you see everything, you, you know, it's like watching the sausage get made. And I think the issue, it's not so much with Dave Farrick's performance, which is fine for what he's asked to do, no, it's I think it's the fine. writing. Mm-hmm. I think it's the writing, a hundred percent. And is, you know, I'm I'm not trying I'm not trying to compare it to Carpenter's that much. You know, I, I'm sure it's coming off of that way, but I'm only comparing it in the sense that I I just don't think that there was any reverence towards what mm-hmm. came before it. You know, and I feel like the original Halloween. What made it so effective to me is it's bad things happening to good people. Sure. Whereas Halloween. It's horrible things happening to horrible people. Right. And even even watching it in the theater, after he kills everyone as a kid, I remember saying it out loud. No shit. Why wouldn't he? You know, there's no shock of seeing that little kid in the first one mm-hmm. and being like, oh, no. Like, why? What would what would make him do that? That's so scary. This one, there's no way he wasn't going to be a murderer. So what's mm-hmm. the point of watching the damn movie? Right. You know what I mean? Well, like, Well, to me, it is – it's basically if Rob Zombie opened up his laptop, went to Wikipedia, and went to Google and said, "What makes a person a serial killer?" And oh, he just had a number of check. It was there's nothing interesting. It's like tortures and kills animals at a young age. Check shitty family home with a poor, um, you know, with no real male role model involved. You know, check. Um, you know, feels like sexually conflicted feelings towards members of his family or other sex. Check, check, check. Everything there is just like, just like ticking off a box and getting, getting the most uninteresting reason you can possibly get as to why Michael Myers is the way he is. While at the same time, Asking you to sympathize with the character, but never allowing an ounce of that sympathy to flow towards a Lori, towards an Annie, uh, towards Linda, towards anybody else. Well, I think there's a reverence in the wrong area. You know, I, I you know, Rob Zombie's notorious for like kind of being obsessed with like Charles Manson and serial killers in general. I think he has more of a reverence towards the monster than the good people. Mm. I mean, he's been on record many times saying that he always felt Charles Manson was more interesting than the people that tried to lock him up. And I think that that speaks volumes on this film and the Mm. second one. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll approach this when we get into our Halloween two episode, but I mean, even in that film, how do you almost get murdered? Mm. All your friends do get murdered. You survive and you just grow dreadlocks and hang a poster of Charles Manson above your bed. You know what I mean? Like that just speaks on like there's no it's it's not a fight between good and evil. It's not even a survival story. This is a look at here's this fucked up person. He's going to murder people. Hope you guys enjoy it. And that I I really I try not to get negative, so I apologize if I am. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that is the core statement of Rob Zombie's Halloween is basically I love the monster. The monster's going to do fucked up shit, but hey, that's what I'm into. 
that's what Halloween always feels like to me when I watch it. And I've tried so many times to get on board and I'm finally to the point where I appreciate Rob Zombie's Halloween two more than, you know, his, mm-hmm. his first movie, because it doesn't offend me on the level that the first one does. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I'm fine with following a monster, but there has to be some light involved mm-hmm. whatsoever. And, and I, I feel like, there's this mistake that sometimes gets made in movies like this where the more brutal you get, the more effective it is. And that's mm-hmm. not true. That's not true. It's like, cool, I get that you had a really good budget for blood. That doesn't mean every character needs to get stabbed 42 times. Uh, you know, like like one of our listeners said as far as questions, you know, one of our listeners said he always had kind of an issue with the gratuitous nudity, nudity in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I mean, I remember watching it for the first time, and when Linda gets killed, she gets choked. The camera does kind of pan down to her nude body. Like, it's 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 almost like, well, here are these likable characters. Let's get all of them naked. Let's put them through the ringer. Let's brutalize them. Like, it's uncomfortable to watch. And I don't mean that in a good way. Like, it makes me feel like I'm an asshole for well, watching the movie i think it's done in a way i think part of it is it's done in a way where i don't think that the filmmaker is uncomfortable with it does that make sense like i don't think oh, his totally. intention i don't think his intention in that moment and i could be completely off my rocker here when i say this and maybe i'm way off base but i think with a lot of the nudity in the movie uh with like danielle uh harris's character who's running around like she's basically pulled off her boyfriend while having sex um and then tries to run out the door like texas chainsaw style when when naked i don't think like you're and, and when you're naked you're vulnerable you're at your most vulnerable overall you're completely defenseless at that point um, I don't think that the intent was for the audience to feel sympathy or empathy for the characters in those moments. I think that it was, you know, like, isn't this cool? Oh, no, like, totally. Whoa. And it gets back to like, you know, my thing about Rob Zombie as a script writer, not so much as a director, but as a screenwriter, he writes from the perspective of a prepubescent boy that has just found like internet porn. For the first time, I remember uh, I spoke to uh, Nathan Gray a few years back, uh, the vocalist for Boy Sets Fire, and now he's a solo artist. Uh, we were talking about horror movies for a, fa- a column that I used to have at Fangoria, uh, and Nathan and I were talking about movies, and he said that he can he has a hard time watching Rob Zombie's movies because at a certain point, and I'm not saying this is how I feel, I'm just just saying that this is what was said. You know, at a certain point, it's just like, cool, I get it, you like rape. You know, cool. Mm-hmm. You get it. You don't have a problem with that. Everyone, like, fuck, dude. I mean, Devil's Rejects has one of the most uncomfortable scenes around mm-hmm. involving that. You know, uh, Lords of Salem has some interesting stuff mm-hmm. like that. 31, I think if there's a, and I like 31, but if there's a film that really highlights exactly what, what Nathan Gray said about that, it's that one. I mean, there's, the the dialogue between the two clowns with the chainsaws, you know, talking about mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, they're gonna fuck every hole possible. Like, right. it's just it's like it's like shit that I would have been annoyed with in junior high that the other kids my age were talking like. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's what it feels like with this movie. Well, to me, thirty one is Rob Zombie's You Mad movie. Um, you know, that's his second movie after. It was almost like a 
it was almost like a, a an answer to the, his critics of his Halloween films overall. It was the one that he crowdfunded for one, if I remember correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically like, if you've been mad about my other movies, like I'm going to put all of my id into this movie right here, and this is what you get. I think one of the reasons why this movie gets a lot of flack isn't necessarily Rob Zombie's fault. Um, he basically pitched two movies. He basically pitched the first half of the movie, which I know, Jerry, you take exception to it, but it tends to be the half that people, appreciate, if not enjoy, appreciate more. And then he pitched essentially part two. And, you know, the Weinsteins, who at this point had sole control, uh, really, since they had broken from Merrimax, they had kept Dimension in the Halloween franchise, they nixed that idea. They're like, we want to see how this movie does first before um, we do anything. Now it's kind of interesting because you have the next two Halloween movies being filmed back to back with one another. Um, So it's really interesting to like, well, I guess when you make as much money as 2018's Halloween, you're like, shh. Sure. Well, why not? We, we have so much fuck you money right now. Um, but they're like, no, you basically what you need to do is you can do your little prequel thing if you want. But then you have to basically it needs to have the mask. It needs to have Laurie Strode. It needs to have, you know, like the shape basically. And it needs to have at some point have the music to it overall. Like he's basically told like these are the things that need to be in your movie. Um, and that's why you get that really kind of sped up version of John Carpenter's Halloween for the last hour of the movie overall. Yeah, so it, I th- feels, it feels like Carpenter's film on meth, the second mm-hmm. half. Exactly. And Haddonfield, it's interesting because to me, part of the horror from the original Halloween movie is like horror coming to the suburbs, like not in an urban environment, not in a gothic environment, not out in some remote countryside a la Wicker Man or in some like backwoods redneck part of Texas where no one's going to find you, a.k.a. TCM. Um, it's like on this these cul-de-sac streets where everybody knows everybody else in their neighborhood and people leave their doors unlocked because, like, why would you lock your doors? I mean, we had on our street, there was a rash of break-ins about a year and a half ago. Um, a lot, like, our car was broken into. They got basically out of my car. They got my gas mask in. Um, but, you know, my <laughs> my neighbors across the street got, like, a, la- a spare laptop stolen, some tools stolen. Um I remember like leaving my next door neighbor a message we never talked to. I left them a voicemail and I'm like, you might want to check your cars. There's a lot of break-ins and my window was open and the house was close and they're pretty loud. And I'm like, Hey, you know, like some guy who says he lives near us says he might've been broken into what the fuck's up with that. I'm like, Oh, won't tell them again. Um, but you know, I still don't lock my back door most nights, you know, I'm just like, eh, it probably was a one-time thing. Um, yeah. That was part of the appeal of like the original Halloween. Like this does not feel like Haddonfield at all. It, it doesn't, which is interesting because this is the last film to be filmed uh, in, you know, where the original was. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to, they went to Utah for the last few, mm-hmm. but Rob Zombie. They went to Georgia for the sequel, right? 
Totally, yeah. But the first Rob Zombie Halloween, like it was filmed the same neighborhood that the original was, Mm -hmm. you know, but it doesn't feel like that. And I think that that goes with kind of who's directing it, you know. Mm -hmm. And also, I I think it's interesting. uh, Hold on a second. I think it's really interesting when it comes to the characters. Uh, You know, we are given a couple characters in the film minor characters that are good people and the way that they get discarded is so mean-spirited that it it feels like zombie with this movie it feels like he just does not like seeing genuinely good people in a lot of movies which agreed i also i mean i i'm also wrong in a sense that i think one of the most endearing characters he's ever written is Poncho Moller's character in three from hell, because there's no ulterior motives with his character, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think the one character in, in Rob Zombie's Halloween is like that is Danny Trejo's character of Ismael, mm-hmm. who is nothing but nice to Michael, who, you know, tells him, you know, that he knows all about walls to look past them and, you know, nothing. And how does he get repaid for it? <laughs> you know? Michael yeah. basically drowns him and throws a TV on his fucking head, right. you know, and that ever quotable line, you know, I was good to you, Mikey. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it just seems like zombie hates decent people, exactly. you know? And, and what's interesting, and this is jumping ahead just a little bit is like, after the movie tested so well, they gave, they gave, I mean, the Weinsteins gave zombie a lot of money to do reshoots and he, in some ways, improved the film with the reshoots, you know, like like the original ending or the original escape in uh, in the original script uh, was, you know, basically uh, Lou Temple's character and another one. You know, they go in and they think it's funny to rape, rape, a, mentally Ill, rape a mentally ill woman in Michael Myers' room and laugh mm-hmm. at him. And then – they bump his mask and he goes ape shit and you know basically kills everyone. They're and that's reached- part of it too. Uh, that's also part of it too. Is not that like Michael has this pang of conscience and kills the two uh, guards because of what this horrific act. Like he's just like could care less that this is going on in front of him. And I guess in some ways that's true to the character, but it's like oh they touch my mask. Oh, exactly. And it's it's not that that bothers me. Like I understand that, and you're right. It it does kind of speak to the character of Michael Myers. But the that sequence was very much improved with the reshoots and the theatrical mm-hmm. version, which had Michael escape when Bill Mosley, Leslie Easterbrook, Tom Tulls, and other people played guards that were going to transport him, mm-hmm. and he kills them all. That's right. a better escape. So I, I always found it interesting that like. Zombie went back for the home video cut for the director's cut and put the rape scene back in. Like, you know, there's, there's all kinds of the stuff, you know, uh, Ezra Buzzington's character of the, uh, groundskeeper at the cemetery getting murdered by Michael was reshot with Sid Haig, you know, playing a character that's kind of basically kind of like Captain Spaulding. If he worked at a cemetery, like -hmm. there's so many like weird alternate things with a lot of the characters and performances that like, it feels like at times zombie does something different, but he second guesses that 
and goes back to the well of what he's good at doing. This is what I know. Yeah, this is what I know. So this is what I'm going to do. And he, he, it's almost like he realizes the the task that is in front of him. So he just reverts to what he knows rather than kind of maybe steps out of his boundaries a little bit. Because to me, and again, nothing against strippers, nothing against sex workers who are very pro sex worker on this show. Mm-hmm. My Haddonfield doesn't have a strip club. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Like when I think of Haddonfield, that's not what comes to mind. Not at all. And I think that that's one of the many things about this film that just doesn't sit well with me is that Zombie takes extremely minor, insignificant things of the original and gives those a backstory. Like we mm-hmm. really fucking got a backstory of the Book of Matches. In the mm-hmm. first movie, you know what I mean? Like it went from a book of matches to, oh, it's not a lounge. It's a strip club mm-hmm. that Daniel Roebuck manages that Michael Myers strips at. And, you know, Michael's pissed that his mom's a stripper. Like right. it's it's silliness. I don't, I don't mean the stripper part, but it's, it's silly that like everything has to be explained. Even the most minute, unimportant thing, it's over explanation. And that drives me nuts because if I ever talk to fans of Rob Zombie's Halloween Usually the first thing they say, I'll ask, like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll tell my opinion. You know, I'm not a big fan of it. Like, why do you like it? You know, I'm curious. And usually it's like, because it explains why Michael is the way he is. And I feel like in this day and age, a lot of people, it's almost like a, and I'm not calling any fans of this, a low, the lowest common denominator. You know, I'm, I'm just saying like, as a whole, it feels like we're living in days where the crowds have to be spoon fed knowledge about every mm-hmm. single thing, you know, whereas I think what I love about seventies horror and some eighties horror is that those filmmakers didn't have to rely on explaining every little thing. They let the, they, they let the viewer fill in the blanks in their own head. Why Michael does what he does, or they right. just said, you know what? You don't need to know why he does what he does. We don't need to know that he's super bratty and he cut his 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 rat's head off, and you know he wanted to go trick or treat, and love hurts. Like we don't need that shit because to me everything that goes on in the Myers household is so garish and so yeah. over the top. Like you have to have Ronnie, who's not only this like unemployable drunken bum with two broken legs that's like verbally abusive, um, to uh, to. Sherry Moon Zombie's character to Judith to uh, Michael, but also like you know sexually lecherous towards like a sixteen-year-old girl as well. Like there's nothing, there's like no line that won't be crossed there at all. Like the kitchen is just like covered in filth from like head to toe. Like you know Mrs. You know uh, Sherry Moon Zombie can't just get angry. Like she has to like tip the table over and get the baby to start howling as well. Like it's just like it's so garish and so over the top and so um, you know it's almost like Zombie is saying like well, what did you expect to happen? Of course he's going to be a killer. Don't you feel bad for this poor little boy now? And he can't spare an ounce of that sympathy for any other person in the movie. Jesus Christ, Ronnie, you know I have to fucking work tonight. Somebody around here has got to make some money. I'm all broken up here, bitch. I can't work. Yeah, and whose fault is that? Oh, my God, you're pathetic. You know that new waitress over at the bingo lounge? She can give me the freaky eye. 
Oh, the whore with the big tits hanging down to her knees? Maybe I'll choke the chicken, purge my snorkel all over them flappy-ass tits. Good. Well, have a good fucking time. I will. I hope she likes cripples. Bitch, I will crawl over there and I will skull fuck the shit out of you. Oh, I'll get the crutches for you. Crying shit. Crying shit. Crying shit. Just like you, that's all you do is cry. Oh, fuck shit. you, sit it on my pole right now, bitch. Mom. Can't you see I'm making eggs over here? Uh, yes. Uh, since when? Uh, since now. They're chicken abortions and they're fucking gross. They are not chicken abortions. You know what an abortion is. You know what? Can you please go upstairs and get your brother? Why do I always have to do it? You know, just do it. Don't you give me that look! Man, that bitch got herself a nice little dumper. What did you just say? You heard me. No, say it again, Ronnie. Say it to my face. Oh, what's the matter? You jealous of your own daughter's ass, huh? Jerking off in there. Get away! Hey, get your ass downstairs and wash your hands, you little shit. I'm not listening! Let me tell you something, that freak of yours, he needs some serious discipline. I mean, he runs around like a little bitch. You, know, you leave him alone. Keep your hands off him. Give me a fucking break. He's probably a queer. He's gonna grow up, end up cutting his dick and balls off and changing his name to Michelle. Do you know what I feel like is a another film that kind of addresses that nature versus nurture thing in a way that I actually admire very much? Is Home Alone uh, 2? Home Alone 2, definitely. <laughs> but, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yes. That? You that know, is it, um, one of my favorite books of the past oh, 10 years. Dude, and the movie I, is brilliant as well. I, I agree on both fronts, like I, the book and the film. Uh, I think that that approach, the idea of – you know, are we responsible for for what we become or is it like inherently part of us? You know, and I feel like that was a very nuanced, uh, you know, film that really uh, allows its viewers to question how they feel about things. I don't think it's even possible for Rob Zombie's Halloween to let its viewers decide how they feel on everything because it hits you in the mm-hmm. face with a frying pan talking about choking his chicken and coming on people's tits. And, mm-hmm. you know, Judith Myers is jerking off something at the kitchen table. Lori mm-hmm. Strode's fingering a, a bagel. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like who enjoys this stuff? Right. Nobody. I mean, that's that's the problem. Nobody. Now, I do. You know, we talked a little bit about Malcolm McDowell as um, Loomis. I actually do not mind and to some degree enjoy the sequences at Smith's Grove. I think Malcolm McDowell at at the first half, I think is great. Even that that scene at the, the school. Where he comes in, he kind of has the long hair, the facial hair, and he comes in and he gives a very serious warning that this could be a sign of bad things mm-hmm. to come. I love that. And there I, are a few things in this movie that I do like, actually. 
I actually had to have a similar conversation with a parent this week mm-hmm. to what he had. I had to sit down with a parent who had been poo-pooing their child's behavior. Uh, and it's nowhere near the extent of this. Um, so I don't want to like, I'm dealing with someone I think is going to be a murderer. Like, no, I don't think it's that. But I had to sit a parent down and go, I just have to let you know, like, in a few years, this isn't going to be sent home from school for five days, which is a vacation. He's going to jail. Like, this is the path your child is on right now. Um, base, and, and it's like a chilling throat in you know your heart is in your throat when you're having this conversation with a parent um so yeah i love that moment in the school when he's like showing that he's like no like you need to look at these pictures you need to understand what it is your son is capable of um i will say like i was defending um dag farrick's performance earlier i cannot defend his running style like, oh, my God, watching him run out of the school, it's so goofy looking. And I think, like, that shot of him running out of the school, it kind of kills any mystique of the character of Michael Myers for me. He just looks like such a goof when he's running. That, that And, you know, while they were filming it, Zombie was pretty outspoken about, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to use – that that the theme for Halloween because mm-hmm. you know what if it doesn't fit my movie and I feel like that scene you know in in the hallway of the school where you know Dig's running and and stuff and then the Halloween theme plays mm-hmm. I feel like that was almost zombie going okay guys I'm gonna put it in here for 15 seconds to just shut mm-hmm. you guys up like yeah. if like even the I would never like I never thought that I'd see a Halloween film where the Halloween theme just felt awkward you but know when you have love hurts. You have to get that in when you have the rights to love hurts. You really yeah. have to get that in as many times. You got to get your most bang for your buck at that point. You really do. Really, you know, I really will do. say though that we did get some misfits in there, so you know mm-hmm. it's not all bad. And you, in part two, you do get some MC five, so that's not a horrible thing either. Okay. Ready for it? Another version of love hurts. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Um, you know, I'm the positive one in this episode, which is what's mind blowing to me. Are we recording? Hold on. Yeah, we, we are. are. Okay, excellent. No, but um, I, I do want to say that there there are a good amount of things that I do appreciate about mm-hmm. the film. I think Danny Trejo gives one of his best performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that. Uh, I think that might be the only. Th- no, I'm just kidding. I think some of the the cinematography uh, that Phil Parment did i think is great i think that whole sequence where uh they are basically standing there as the camera moves at the crime scene i think is mm-hmm. one of the coolest sequences around uh you know i i like the mask I like that moment i absolutely do oh, love dude, that it's moment. great right mm-hmm. i i like the mask uh i think you know and what's weird is because i love tyler main as a person he's he's so cool but i i also feel like that michael was it, it was so jarring and hard to watch because it's like Michael Myers went from that kid to be like basically a pro wrestler and a Hulk. Mm-hmm. You know, how is the Michael Myers in the, in the original film and every other film? I mean, he could kind of blend in with other Halloween people. Yes. Michael Myers and zombies movies. There's no way you wouldn't know who's following you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course. So and I, Oh, sorry. I was also going to say that I also think Brad Dourif steals both of the films. He's mm-hmm. so good in in both of Rob Zombie's Halloween movies as Bracket. Absolutely. 
he really is. I mean, he's really like the kind of the, the emotional heart of the movie, especially in part two overall. Um, getting back to, to Loomis a bit and McDowell's portrayal, what I really enjoy about these scenes is as someone that does counseling and as someone that like, you know, you really struggle. Cause I think one of, you know, I'm going to toot my own horn here for a minute. Like one of my strengths as a counselor is like building rapport with a client. Yeah. Like making that connection, and to me, no matter what treatment modality that you use, whether it's cognitive, whether it's existential, you know, whether it's like art therapy, whatever it is that you use overall, the most important thing is making the connection with the person. And that's something that I do really well at. So to watch over the course of this like 20, 30 minute stretch of film, like Loomis do his damnedest to make that connection with young Michael and to watch the boy shut down. Like it's kind of there at first. You can see Michael kind of like, okay, I'll give this a try for a little bit. Um, And then once Michael realizes like he's not going home, like once he realizes like, oh, I did something so terrible that I'm going to be stuck here now, even though he doesn't really understand why that is. Um, He just completely cuts Loomis out, and you see Loomis. And this, you know, my biggest complaint about the first Halloween movie, and it's a joking complaint, of course, like, I think people kind of realize this, is, um, you know, Loomis is a terrible psychiatrist. He's an (laughs) absolutely horrible doctor. Um and you see it here. You see, you never see anything as great as Donald Pleasance is. And it's not the point of the movie. So I understand why it's not there. Like the point of Halloween in Carpenter's world is not how did you treat Michael Myers and why did he become what he became at that point, where it more so is here. So you're never going to get those psychotherapy moments here. Um, you get those here, and they're so heartbreaking. Beautiful. Yeah. Why is it all black? Because it's one of my favorite colors. Well, actually, black isn't a color, is it? It's the absence of color and the spectrum of colors. You go from black, which is no color, all the way through to white, which is every color. So technically, not that it really matters, but um, black isn't a color. Why did you make it? I have my secrets. Ah, wait a minute. I thought we had no secrets, you and I. Because no one sees me. Yes, they do. I see you every day. Your mom, she comes every week. Anybody else? No. Michael has begun to obsess on the construction of these primitive masks. It is the rare occasion that he will allow himself to be seen without one of these. Only during the weekly visits from his mother does he show brief glimpses of the boy he once may have been. To what? There's there's that sequence where, you know, kind of right before Michael escapes, it's the last meeting between Loomis and Michael before Loomis Mm -hmm. quits as his doctor. You know, he, he stops. And it's where Loomis basically says that Michael is his longest relationship. Like he mm-hmm. lasted longer than his marriage mm-hmm. and the original ending, the original ending that was shot. And I wish that it would have been the ending of the film speaks on exactly what you're saying. The ending of the original film, Michael has Lori. 
Loomis is pleading with Michael to let her go, and there's cops behind him everywhere. And Loomis, no, not you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And basically, uh, not even take me. Like this is even before that. Mm -hmm. Michael has Lori, and Loomis succeeds. He succeeds at getting Mm -hmm. through to Michael. Mm -hmm. Michael gives Lori to Loomis, and the cops mow him down and shoot him to death. This is even before. Even before, like, even before, like the the other ending where he goes after Loomis, uh, you know, the original one, he gives Lori to Loomis, mm. and the cops shoot Michael to death, and Loomis is left there looking at this patient that he did get through, but he ultimately failed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That is heartbreaking, and I love that ending. But then we got the other ending where. Basically, he lets Lori go and he tries to, you know, crush his head, crush his head. And then we Mm -hmm. get the reshot ending where that is not the ending. And Michael breaks stuff with boards, you know, and it's interesting because you could still see the original, original ending uh, in the final cut. Because when Loomis is pleading with Michael, even though there's no cops in the background of the, the endings we got, there's cop lights in the background that they blurred out so you wouldn't know that that was the original ending Mm -hmm. uh you know i i would i wish we would have gotten that ending because i've always wanted to have that part of loomis in any halloween movie where maybe it worked you know maybe Mm -hmm. he did get through to him and you know you get halloween four where loomis begging michael not to go to haddonfield and take Mm -hmm. him instead or you get five where loomis is begging michael in the woods to come home Mm -hmm. you know and it never happens in the original ending of this one, it happened, and I think that that would have been mm-hmm. such a good touch, you know? I love the part, you know, when he's saying goodbye to Michael for the final time and, yeah. and Smith's Grove saying, like, I'm not going to see you anymore. And at this point, like, Michael hasn't talked to him for, like, six years or eight years, you know, however long it's been. Like, it's just been the silent treatment and Michael, like, always wearing the masks at this point. And you see how that's beaten Loomis down as a mm-hmm. as a as a doctor at that point you see the wear and tear on it and it's the first time in any of the halloween movies that you really see that um and like that to me especially now like watching this movie again it, for this show really made me appreciate those moments a lot more um i've nope. had i've had these conversations with persons where i'm like i've had to say to them like i am sorry like I've had to apologize to clients. Like I am so sorry. I can't help you. Like yeah. I have, I have tried my damnedest. I have tried my best, and I feel like I have failed you, and it hurts. And you just you know to say to them like you deserve someone that is going to be able to work with you and help you grow and help you change and help you overcome what it is you're coming to me for. And for whatever reason. It is just, I am sorry, but I am not that person. And it breaks my heart to tell you that. I've had to, like, like I mentioned that parent. Like, I've apologized to that parent, like, who wants to continue to come to me. I'm like, I am so sorry that we are not as far along as we both think we would like to be at this point. Yeah. You know, and I'm committed to not giving up on your child. But, like, 
we need to try some different things because what we're doing, it's not working and it's not fair to you. It's not fair to him. Um, those things are heartbreaking. And that's why I think like the moment with Deborah, with, with Sherry moves who, by the way, like Sherry moon zombie for as little as she is given to do in this movie, um, is very good. Mm -hmm. No, I, I would say, you know, people seem to hate on her, but I've Mm -hmm. never had a problem with her as an actress. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I think Lords of Salem is great. And I mean, I, I think three from hell, she's really great. Mm -hmm. I also think that, what we, I think it's a missed opportunity with, with this one because that stuff you're talking about with Loomis, I think is brilliant. And imagine if we had gotten that Loomis during the, the first half that is kind of heartbroken that he couldn't get through to Michael. And when Michael escapes, if we would have had basically the Donald Pleasance like Loomis, mm-hmm. who felt like it was his job to protect you know, people, because it was his fuck mm-hmm. up. But instead, what we get, we get a first half where Loomis wants to get through to Michael. And then we get a second half and an entire second movie where Loomis is basically just trying to cash in on this tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity because, I mean, like I said, if we had got the Loomis, the first half that we did get, and then we got a basically a Donald Pleasance-like thing, you know, like a duty, I think that that would have made the movie infinitely mm-hmm. better. Well, the other thing too, the first Halloween is pretty much Loomis's movie. It's yeah. Loomis's movie and it's Laurie's movie. And Michael is the shark from Jaws in that movie. He's in the background. He's out of your he's in your peripheral vision. He's coming in and out of frame. He's you're always aware that he's present, but you're not solely focused on him. And because Rob Zombie just has zero interest in writing compelling normal characters. Because he's so fascinated with, you know, like, look at this sandbox I get to play in with these, like, real deviants at that point. You basically get a two-hour – it's really like – at the end of the day, like, Michael Myers is not that interesting a character, right? Like, we love him, but he's not necessarily very interesting. There's no, not a not lot for him all. to say it's, or do. It's, it's about everyone else, you know? And I I also think that – it, it goes kind of with the contradictory stuff I was saying earlier. You know, in the Halloween 25 Years of Terror DVD, you know, they interview Rob Zombie. This is before he even took the job of, of rebooting it. Uh, on that 25 Years of Terror DVD, Rob Zombie says what made the original Halloween so great is you had a faceless killer, but every other character was fleshed out and you, you cared about them, basically. But he said towards the later Halloweens, all the other characters were faceless too. So basically you just have no personality all around. And I think that that's contradictory because that is exactly what we got with this 2007 movie. Everybody is faceless. You know what I mean? There, there's no character. There's no character that really you're able to latch onto. There's no character that you're like, man, I really want them to survive. And I, I think that's, that's sad because even in, even in the later sequels with Halloween, we always had, characters the root for whether it's jamie lloyd rachel carruthers tina uh you know tommy doyle's return kara strode you know we have all these people that we at least attempt to get on board with but in 2007 we have a teenager finger banging a bagel we have daniel harris not being embarrassed that her dad's a cop like the original but kind of using it as a bullying tactic you know well what are you going to do my dad's a sheriff and you have linda who's a bully and a mean-spirited character in this one. You know what I mean? Like, nobody, there isn't a single person that you feel bad for in this movie. 
are you going to really leave Josh the heartthrob heartnet out of your characters to root for list? You know what? John Tate. You know, I, I'd rather watch John Tate as a character than a single <laughs> yeah. character of, of this movie. If Rob Zombie's Halloween was an alternate version where John Tate gets on the bus to Yosemite and has a rollicking good time out at the out on the class field trip. That might be a more interesting movie. I think so too. It would be a hell of a coming of age movie. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you take Josh Hartnett's hair out, it's still a good coming of age. movie. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's to me, I I think you've, we've really, I think we've hit that point home at this point where it's really, and it's, it's hard not to overstate that. It's really hard not to overstate that. You talked a little bit about Tyler Maine as Michael Myers. Um, what do you think of this? What do we make of this choice to say, instead of having him be an average person, you know, Tyler Maine, for those who don't know, was a professional wrestler in the um, mid to late 90s in WCW. Uh, he was also, um, is it not Sabretooth? Is it Sabretooth? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Sabretooth. The, the first, uh, first X-Men movie. And I think, does he return in the first Wolverine movie? No, uh, Liev Schreiber. Schreiber. That's right. It's Liev Schreiber. That's right. Um, But he's just like massive presence. And in some ways, like if you're going to like, let's say this, if you're going to do your own take on Halloween or any of these iconic characters, at least do something interesting with it or at least like make it your own don't make a carbon copy like we love absolutely love Derek Mears as as Jason Voorhees in the 2009 Friday the 13th movie and he's a much more athletic limber quicker version of the character of Jason like we have not seen anything like that really basically he's basically Rambo with a hockey mask yeah you know, and as much as we, you know, really enjoy Kane Hodder's performance, Kane Hodder is a much more of a plotting performance overall as the character. But, you know, Derek Mears brought this physicality to the role that we really love. Why does that not work when you have an almost seven foot tall Michael Myers? Because there's no mystery. Like like I said, I mean, I think in the original Michael Myers basically looked like every other person. He was just wearing a mask, you know, and I think that's scarier. If you if you're walking down the street and you see Tyler Maine, you know, as Michael Myers walking at you, you're going to start running. If you're walking with a bunch of people on Halloween and you see the original Michael Myers, you're going to be freaked out, but you're not going to think anything of it. So when that person comes after you, it's going to be more it's going to be more real, you know? I I I do think that there are some really good touches with Tyler Maine. You know, as much as I don't really like Michael being this big hulking thing, I think the scene with Big Joe uh, Grizzly, I think is one of the funnest scenes in that entire mm-hmm. movie. I mean, it's, it, I think it's just funny to watch, you know, Michael Myers try to kill Ken Forey while he's, you know, mm-hmm. taking a shit. Having a dookie, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, I mean, that's fun. It's just... Uh, you know, I, I, it's just hard. It's, it's, and I try not to compare it to the original, but I'm just saying, even, even as just like a standalone movie, like these big, massive, like killers, like it's just, you know what I mean? Like there's no mystery. There's, it's, it's just like, obviously that's the guy that's going to come after you. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I think part of it too is there's such a dichotomy between Tyler Maine as like a 21 year old and Dig Farrick at age 10. Like it's almost comical to look at the character of Dig Farrick, who's this young, kind of chubby, stringy haired Kiss fan. Yeah, right. He kind of looks like a mope. You know, I mean, like he just looks so mopey overall. And I'm not saying like it's just the way he's made up and the way he's made to perform, like nothing against, again, Dig Farrick at all. Um, To go from this kind of like munchkin to like all of a sudden you have like Lurch from the Adams family in front of you. It's almost like it's almost like Dig Farrick got a hold of uh, the ooze from Ninja Turtles 2. You know, he he looks like Super Shredder as Michael mm-hmm. Myers. Yeah, it's crazy to me. And then, I don't know, like, I think it's supposed to be, like, disturbing to watch, like, a long-haired, you know, with the hair is covering the eyes, giant of a man working on these paper mache doll uh, masks. But it's comical. Like, it doesn't oh, it look – it just looks so silly. Um, it doesn't bring an ounce of menace to the movie at all. It doesn't scare you at all. It doesn't make you go like, oh, man, someone's going to get their shit fucked up. It's just like this is just goofy to look at right now. This is just silly. Well, that and you also get this. What I loved about the original one and other ones is that you didn't every other Halloween film, basically. You know, depending on who played him, you know, you got different takes at, at, at the shape. But what I loved is, like I said, and I, I've been saying this on repeat accidentally, not realizing I'm doing it, but the mystery. Uh, in this movie, you get this big Hulk of Michael Myers grunting and growling as he's killing people. Mm-hmm. Like, it, he's grunting like he's a monster from fucking Labyrinth. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like especially at the end when he's trying to knock the, the boards down with the with the the pieces of wood. Like, it's it's comical to me to watch. You know, he's like, ah, ah. It's it's like what? Like, what are we watching? Yeah, it's almost like Frankenstein's monster learning to yeah, speak. Very in much. Some ways overall. Now, I will say that there are times that that physicality is, it works. Uh, I think the scene with Annie. I think to us, as much as I hate the fact of like how, you know, Daniel Harris is basically stripped naked during it. Like, I think that the physical difference, the the difference in physicality between the two, I think really plays up the menace overall, especially in the second movie where that scene is just, that is so hard to watch. Um, But Daniel basically being, and we'll talk more, I think about the more human characters here shortly, but do you know, Daniel Harris being, dragged backwards through the living room and just grasping at the door and and having no chance to do so is just like it's a rough watch i think you know d wallace um getting murdered and and realizing like if i remember correctly like she kind of gets that like her daughter is next on the hit parade at that point like it's so heartbreaking because hey, i just love d wallace like well, d wallace looks like my mom like spoiler alert like d- i'm not kidding like there is a strong physical resemblance to d wallace and my mom which is really like to the point where she's in this amazon show uh just add magic and ada my daughter used to be like that looks just like nana when we would watch that show together so like to see that scene is so hard to watch because again like the character the strode uh mom and dad are two of the only 
human resembling characters in the movie and they barely get like two minutes of screen time. Well, uh, the scene with Annie getting dragged is hard to watch. And, and the scene with the parents, I think is another one that I really appreciate and like, because it happens so fast. You know, you go from, uh, the two Strode parents basically sitting on the porch talking, reminiscing about, you know, Lori growing up. It's kind of a very endearing scene. And they get up to go inside, and Michael just shows up, slashes the husband, throws him inside, and goes mm-hmm. to town on the mom. That is a sequence that I, I like because, I mean, you feel it. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things the movie has going for it is the camera work. I think the handheld approach works for Zombies movie in ways that didn't work for the movies prior because, I mean, they were very kind of cinematic, whereas this one's very, like, all over the place, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I feel like the sequences, like with, like I said, Annie and the Strodes, I think that they're solid as hell. I, I, I love those ones. Mm-hmm. And you have that, that the, the aftermath, you, you don't see so much physically what happens, but you get the aftermath of what happens overall and the way with the uh, voicemail, I'm oh, sorry, the answering machine message playing over it and how yeah. just how just sad that is. And I think too, what's, what's what makes a scene work is like Halloween to that point had really been one of those series where parents are absentee by and large in that series, like part one, part two, part four, part five, there's really no parents in that movie at all. And the parents you get in part six, you get, you know, John Strode, who's an abusive asshole overall. So, yeah. and now you have like, you introduce these parent characters briefly. You don't really expect that you're ever going to see them again. So it's, it's shocking. It's really shocking when, when the Strodes are, are disposed of. No, totally. And I think that, that I could understand maybe a little bit of where the cor- the character of Lori went with the second one because of her parents and everything getting brutally killed. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like – and it just doesn't land with me. I, I it, Halloween 2007 to me is – there are a couple things I really like about it and like the, the things that I basically mentioned. And I think it's just – uh, I think I just think it's a misstep all around. Other than that, I mean, mm-hmm. you have even the boyfriends, Bob. I mean, he's even more of a one-dimensional character than the first one, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, the death scenes from the second half, you know, even though I said I can watch the second half more, I mean, that's just me being nice and saying that's the only part of the movie I could watch. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, even the deaths for the for the second half, like it's just they're kind of just whatever. Uh, I don't like watching the death of Linda in Rob Zombie's film because it just it feels so exploitative to me. Right. I like it just feels it feels wrong, not wrong, but it just feels gross to me. You know, yeah. it, it feels very gross that you know there was nudity in in the original when Michael's killing Linda. You know, there is nudity, but in the remake, there's so much of it mm-hmm. like right in your face that it's just like. I, I understand what Rob's trying to do, kind of make you feel uncomfortable, but I don't think maybe he meant to make you feel that uncomfortable. I don't even – and again, I had said this earlier. I'm not even sure he's trying to make you feel uncomfortable there. I really just think to, to him I, – I think the one death that feels uncomfortable to me in this movie outside of the parents is the death of the bully early on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um it's... 
because the kid is like, it's the one time that someone is actually like begging for their life at that point. Uh, and you, it's, it's, it's marred by the fact that this kid is such a weasel to begin with. He's so unlikable to begin with. It's not, you know, if you had made the choice where like, these are just two kids at butt heads and don't get along with one another. Um, but not necessarily this kid is someone who goes out of his way to torment Michael Myers uh, and pick on him for his, you know, his mother being a, a, a stripper for the poverty, for all of that. You hate this kid from the get go. So again, it's almost like you root for him to get killed, but the way that scene plays out, it gets very uncomfortable. That to me is the only death that feels like it was meant to be that way. Well, that and you know, I'll, I'll probably get a lot of shit for this too. But the scene where Michael kills the bully towards the beginning, mm-hmm. to me, feels like the one scene in Joker that I hate with a passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I have such a love hate relationship with with Joker because I loved it so much, but I also hated it. Uh, the scene, and you know, it's it's not so much a spoiler in Joker, but there's a scene where basically the whole film of Joker, you know, he's he's losing his shit he's he's trying to get help nobody's listening but then he snaps and he murders a bunch of people very viciously and then a classic rock starts song starts playing and he dances and people in my theater were cheering and everything else and i feel like that's exactly the same thing with the bully's death in halloween he's an asshole he bullies people but i don't think that it's cool to cheer the murder of somebody, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it makes me feel uncomfortable the same way that the dancing scene in Joker made me extremely uncomfortable. Mm. I would say, yeah, I would, I would agree. I think that's an absolutely apt comparison. You can definitely, you can definitely paint a through line there. And I think in part, you know, like it's movies like this where Rob Zombie is so obsessed with explaining the killer and empathizing with the mass murder. It's not just explaining this is what turns somebody into a killer, but like this is what turns someone into a killer and shouldn't we feel sorry for them overall? Like, isn't this where our sympathy should lie? Shouldn't we empathize with this person? That is, there's a, a direct line from that to, I would say, a movie like Joker, which Again, much better, more well-crafted, whatever you think of the politics of the movie, is a well-made movie. Well, that – and there, there's something that uh, Jinx uh, said, uh, I think, online. Uh, you know, our, our past guest, Jinx. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was saying when he went to see Three from Hell, he hated it. And he hated it because he felt like he was being forced to cheer for these awful people. You know, I I don't agree with that, but with this with that being said, this is what I feel Halloween 2007 is. I feel like as a viewer, as a viewer, you you never feel sorry for the good guys. Mm-hmm. As a viewer, the whole film is making you try to sympathize with Michael Myers, whether it be the young version or or the older version. And I I feel like Maybe that's where it kind of goes off the track for me. It's like, like I said, I love Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. But with that being said, I still feel bad for the people that were murdered in that movie. And I never Mm -hmm. once sympathize with Henry or Otis in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I never once say, oh, man, that person had it coming. You know, like I think Rob Zombie's Halloween Maybe the characters are written so despicably 
because like we're supposed to cheer the for them dying and I think that's kind of shitty. Right. It is it's very shitty and it's you know, part of it I think is Scout Taylor Compton is not Jamie Lee Curtis. Nope. Right? I mean it's is it fair to say that overall? Um you know, it, it's it's not like a personal thing about uh, about Scout as an actress. I just think that they're towards the character that that Jamie Lee had. You know, it, it's impossible not to feel. It's impossible not to sympathize or feel bad for Laurie Strode in in the original. It's impossible not to sympathize and feel kind of bad for Jamie Lloyd in Halloween Four. You know, like we're given these characters that are down to earth that we want to see get out. Whereas Scout as Laurie Strode, it's very not, I don't mean wooden in the sense of acting. It's wooden in the sense of how the character's written. We're never quite given a character that we care about. We're never quite given a character that does anything other than try to impress mm-hmm. her friends. I don't think Laurie in 78's film cared about impressing her friends. She just loved her friends and she wanted to hang out with them in Mm -hmm. this movie. In this movie, it seems like all three girls, uh, Lori, Annie and Linda are constantly trying to one up each other. on Badass. And Mm -hmm. like, I hated those people growing up. You know what I mean? I don't want to watch a movie where those are my protagonists. No, The, the three young women in this movie, they're interchangeable. With one another. And I think part of the strength of Deborah Hill's writing in the original Halloween, because she was responsible for a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the quirk and a lot of the, I don't want to say nuance, because it, it, let's let's be fair, like, the, the as much as we love Halloween, the three females, and that they're not, like, the deepest characters in the world. But there's enough there. There's enough recognizable traits there. Like, you saw different personalities emerge in each of the, the characters overall PJ souls. Um, Oh God, Nancy Loomis and Jamie Lee all brought those characters to life in, in different ways overall here. All three of the young women, all three of the characters in this, they're interchangeable. Like you could have put Daniel Harris in the Laurie Strode role and had, I think it would play the same way. Oh, totally. That and it seems like every kind of movie like this, there's always a good character that is a, like genuinely a good person who kind of mm-hmm. has those more rambunctious friends. Whereas 2007's Halloween, you know, I, I couldn't see that Laurie Strode giving the uh, description of fate in in you know what I mean in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't see that performance doing anything that seems relatable. And I mean, that even gets worse in the second Rob Zombie's Halloween, you know? And I, I feel like I, I agree with you. They are interchangeable in this one. Uh, you know, there, there isn't anything kind of unique or, or kind of, you know, like relatable whatsoever. And I, I mean, I can't stress this enough that I don't even think it's performances because every actor that's in Halloween, they're good actors. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen all every person in the movie in good movies. Right, you know, Daniel Harris in Halloween Two gives a hell of a performance. Right, is Annie, and I think the movie would have been all the stronger if she was the person you followed in Halloween Two. If she mm-hmm. wasn't a supporting character, but that's who you follow from the get go. Getting uh, uh, interesting in the second one, if Laurie had gotten killed right off the bat, and we followed mm-hmm. Annie. 
And it would have been like a it would have it would have been a moment that made you sit up in your seat and go, holy yeah. shit. Like and for a movie that very much wants to be its own thing and to let you know that like nothing is off the table in this movie, that would have been as bold of a choice as you can make. So yeah. this is a quote from Dread Central. Uh, this is an interview with Rob Zombie back. Um, Josh McMillan did this little news piece here. I think actually the original interview was with Games Radar, and then De- Dread Central wrote it up uh, Halloween 2018. And it's it, it applies more to the follow-up movie, but I think it's really telling in terms of like where – Zombie's mindset was when writing these characters, particularly Laurie. And she says, I think Laurie Strode for my Halloween was a bit boring. I mean, she's supposed to be this all-American nice girl, and to me, that is just dull. That is why when we did the sequel, I made her this really damaged person, because that is more infinitely more interesting and cool to explore. But in Halloween, I made a movie about Michael Myers. That came from the pitch of, okay, what if this was a real man, an actual serial killer? What set him off? And there is a lot to unpack in that statement right Mm -hmm. there right oh no i mean number one it's really telling that look i think zombie comes from a similar background zombies from newton massachusetts which is like one of the wealthiest communities in all of massachusetts like him eli roth um and i know that he comes from like a punk and a metal background overall and like yeah the characters of laurie strode were these unattainable females for us in high school like they were not going to prom with us overall like i'm sorry i'm over here listening to like the gorilla biscuits and trying to you know practice my circle pit dance moves like laurie strode has no time for me so i kind of get that to a certain degree but <laughs> to be like to basically say that like, goodness and niceness is dull i think is a really telling statement it is and it kind of goes uh, yet again on that contradictory thing i've been saying it's like he obvi- he loves ha- John Carpenter's Halloween so much that everything that makes Halloween so good he finds boring. Mm-hmm. Like where where is the appreciation and the admiration towards the original in every single thing he says about his versions? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything from like not giving a shit about uh, the 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 theme to saying Loomis basically just showed up to give dramatic monologues in the first film to saying that the all American girl's boring. It's like he does. He did know that he was remaking Halloween, right? Because it seems like he hated Halloween. Yeah. It seems like he doesn't like anything about the movie at all. And to me, the horror from Halloween, it was a great article yesterday on AV club writing about jaws. Like jaws is not the antagonist of Halloween. Like the antagonist, antagonist of Halloween is mayor Larry. Um, Jaws is just this force of nature that kind of cuts through Amity, uh, Amityville um, or Amity Island um, and just wreaks his path of destruction. Like Michael Myers in the original Halloween movie, yes, he is the antagonist, obviously, but he's just this force of nature and everyone else is forced to react to him overall. Here, like Michael Myers is not so much a force of nature. He's just like on a killing spree. He's boring in that regard. There's nothing interesting about him at all. Well, exactly. And you know, our good friend Buster Rhymes said in resurrection that Michael Myers is the shark from jaws. Yeah. Guess what? He's not anymore in this remake. He's very much 
your run-of-the-mill serial killer. Like, and I mean that in the most stereotypical sense. Everything from like what you said earlier about like what is a serial killer. Like, I feel like the opening of uh, basically the entire movie is a serial killer for dummies. You take you like what it does. It, it you take stuff from Ted Bundy's past. You take stuff from Charles Manson's past. You take stuff from everyone's past, and Rob just throws him into a blender. Man, like, oh, this is why Michael's evil. This is why Michael's evil because his stepdad. You know, it's vulgar because his sister sleeps around and, mm-hmm. you know, makes fun of him. Like, I'm sorry. My brother made fun of me nonstop. You know, I didn't kill my bullies at school or, you know, right. cut cut people's necks. Like, it just and, silly to me. And Rob Zombie's movie always seems to give Michael Myers an out in terms of the reason why he's killing people. Mm-hmm. Like, the bully is killed because he's been bullying Michael Myers for a long time, and he gets what's coming to him. Judith Myers is killed because she refuses to take Michael trick-or-treating and even makes fun of him for it yeah. overall. Where in the first movie, there's never any sort of explanation that is given overall. Um, it is basically, it's just like, it's like Michael Myers kills because that's what Michael Myers does. Here it's like he's almost given like you know um, Ronnie is killed because let's face it Ronnie's a piece of fucking garbage. Oh hell yeah he is, but I I also feel like I think a lot of what can be said about this film goes back to that first draft that I was mm-hmm. talking about. Michael in the first draft is even more of a piece of shit than he in what the end one was. In the first draft, he not only stabbed Judith like double or triple digits, but he sodomized her with a fucking baseball bat. Right. You know what I mean? So it seems like right from the beginning, like, do you know what? Like, I'm trying to articulate what I'm I'm, I'm feeling about this, but it seems Mm -hmm. like right from the beginning. We're given a piece of shit to follow, and if mm-hmm. Rob made a Michael Myers movie, that's not that's not a Michael Myers that I want to follow whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And to me, whenever you hear like Rob Zombie is one of the more articulate horror filmmakers we have. Like yeah. even when you disagree with the choices he makes, he can always back them up. He always it, it, he there's never a shoulder shrug and going like yeah I just thought that would be cool. He has like clearly well thought out reasons for why he wants to do things overall. And to me, this is a movie like this is going to sound very cynical and it probably is like, it's like the choices you would put in a draft like that. I don't think reflect so much on Rob Zombie's own personal beliefs as to what's cool, but almost like what would the hot topic crowd in 2007 think is really cool. Exactly. And to be completely honest, that is the demographic for this movie. And that is the demographic that enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I know firsthand I worked, I worked in the mall. I worked in the mall in a borders books when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember every kid like that came in and coming in talking about how groundbreaking and amazing Halloween was because mm-hmm. of how the, the best sentence that I heard on repeat that whole, that whole October and November of, of 2007 was, Man, I love Halloween so much because, oh, man, that was fucking brutal. Oh, mm-hmm. man, that movie was brutal. It's so good. It's brutal. That, that's, that's basically the Halloween that we got is, mm-hmm. guess what, guys? We're going to give you Halloween brutal. And, like, it's, it's fucking childish. That could have been the subtitle for the movie. Halloween like it, brutal. Yeah, brutal. Halloween colon brutal. It would have been H2, perfect. H2, brutaler. 
<laughs> oh man. So it, 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 it's just it's telling that that's the direction it goes in, and it's very much a product of its time. Yes. I mean, we, it, it is. It, I think maybe to remember the context of the time, um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake follow-up that comes out is even more violent than the first yep. movie. I mean, it's like the first movie seems like a portrait of restraint compared to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, which again, it's another movie that basically says we need to demythologize every single thing about our our antagonists in order to have them appeal to this crowd and you know now you are in the age like it, it, i think it's important to remember that the slasher icons of the 80s and the 90s it's pre-internet Yep. So if you wanted to create a backstory, it was you on the back of a school bus with your buddies going, oh, man, like at the end of Halloween four. Now what's going to happen in Halloween five? I bet Jamie's going to do this. I bet the reason she's like this is because of this. You didn't have the ability to go back and research every last nuance, every last nuance or every last detail overall of a movie. There is no such thing as cinema sins that was basically breaking down frame by frame a movie and nitpicking it to death overall um you know you didn't have like high definition where you could you know zoom in and basically pick up like oop this is out of place right now like here are all the mistakes that are made in a movie um so it's almost like you expect that and you're in a time where what's ruling the box office saw the collector the hostile films like those are the movies that are making i mean basically every year for about six or seven years yep. saw ruled october mm-hmm. so and you, so i mean why wouldn't we get i understand why we got the halloween we got we got you know i wish we wouldn't have but i understand why because this was the time of hostile two this was the time of fucking touristas. You know, this this was the time of all of that stuff. Right. So like Carpenter's vision for Halloween, the original Halloween 2, you know, this is a different time. We need to have this stuff in it. I almost feel like there was a pressure to give fans a Halloween like the one we got. I just unfortunately mm-hmm. wish that we wouldn't have. Right. Abs- I can't can't disagree with any of that whatsoever. Um what else do we want to speak about here? I mean, really, we've got about two hours in on Halloween right now. I, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with what we have. Mm-hmm. Have we just? We've talked about blah blah blah. We've talked about the uh, Tyler Maine. Do 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 do. I think what's really interesting at the end of this movie is you get what should be another definitive end to the <laughs> yeah. Michael Myers character, right? He is shot point blank in the face. So as far as definitive ends go, I would say it sits between getting set on fire at the end of Halloween 2 and getting your head chopped off at the end of Halloween H2O in terms of what should have killed the character. What's what's funny is we didn't even get that really laughable explanation that we got in Resurrection. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. Lori didn't cut Michael's head off. That was a paramedic. They got his throat crushed. Like in Halloween two, it's just like nope. Michael Myers got shot in the face. I guess it just grazed yeah. him. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I guess basically, it just grazed him, even yeah, though she had a gallon of blood flying her face. It's basically just a. Um, she's a very bad shot. Is basically the the and I you know you can almost buy it. 
I mean, because A, you never see him get shot in the face. B, she's a, a very slight physical person. You can see the kickback even from that close. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm grasping for straws at this point. I understand. But, you know, <laughs> so, so, um, I don't know, man. Like, what can you what can you say? Um, what's interesting? One thing that is interesting about this movie is right before it comes out, uh, the work print of this movie is released. Yeah. Overall, like, not released. I shouldn't say that it's released. The work print of this movie um, comes out like less than a week before the movie, and it's downloaded a hell of a lot overall. What do we remember about that? What do we remember about the work print? The, the work print was kind of a mixture of what we got and some other stuff. It had the rape in it. Uh, it had uh, it had Ezra Buzzington as the groundskeeper at the cemetery that got murdered before Rob Zombie recast him with Sid Haig in the reshoots. Uh, you know, I... I it it was closer to I think the original draft, and it was closer to the director's cut that we eventually got on home video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that that was another reason that it kind of tainted the movie right from the beginning to a lot of people because it was in the in the age where a lot of people were downloading that shit. But I mean, like I said earlier, man, I I think the theatrical version is so much better than the work mm-hmm. print and and the home video director's cut because it shows some restraint you know it, it shows much needed restraint i feel like it shows the restraint that zombie ended up showing with three from hell you know it, it kind of pulled back a little bit as far as different things the theatrical version i i think the work print was in your face kind of like the director's cut mm-hmm yeah, and I think that that's the cut that he would prefer overall. Like I think, oh, totally. you know, he's he's bemoaned he's bemoaned the fact that that he did not like any of the studio interference which came with it, and you can understand why there is. You know, he really had not to this point had a massively successful commercial release. Like Halloween is going to end up uh, becoming overall, yeah. and you can understand where this this is Malika Cod's baby at this point. Um, where and when you look at the script that they were given, you're like, we need to rein this in a little bit yeah. overall. Like some of the stuff that we're just not going to be able to do. Um, well, but, here's the thing: I, I understand John Carpenter asking for complete creative uh, freedom on the original. I understand that, but when you are making the ninth Halloween film. It does need to have at least something that the fans love about the mm-hmm. series. And I feel like creative control – I mean I almost hate myself for saying this, but I almost feel like creative control should have been reined in with this one. What do you think of the choice of, of keeping Laurie Strode as Michael's sister? I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like – and I know I've been very vocal about hating the family twist – in in the series, but I this film, I understand why she's a sister because I mean this one out of the entire series, I mean it seems a hundred percent geared towards, you know, like f- familiar bond, but at the same time, the Michael Myers we got in Rob Zombie's film wouldn't give a shit about his sister. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't care about anything. Like he's the one that drowned Danny Trejo and th- Trejo and threw a TV on his face. Mm-hmm just because he wanted to kill people. Right. You know, and I, I really don't feel like that would be the character that would get out and be like, Oh, he, you know, I'm vulnerable. Here's a Polaroid of us together. Accept mm-hmm. me. 
You know what I mean? Like, it, right. like I, I feel like it kind of contradicts everything that was already like presented in the film. It, it just to me, it, it not only is a poor choice, and I from a storytelling st- standpoint, but also just from a logistic standpoint. Just mm-hmm. like you have this like ten year old boy that met his sister, who was like maybe maybe six months old. Yeah, and now like. Are there like some sort of pheromone? Like, do they imprint in one another? Like, is this a Twilight thing at this point? Where, by the way, do we consider Twilight horror? Like, are we going to have to cover that at some point? You know, I I don't think so. (laughs) Good call. Very good. All right. Excellent. Very good. Putting our foot down, not covering Twilight. Um, But it's just like, there's no... There's no reason given for it. There's no explanation you know, for a movie that explains everything for a movie that, like you said, it goes out of its way to explain the Red Rabbit matchbook. Mm-hmm. But then how do you know you're supposed to know that like Michael is like that's his sister overall. And it, it, it could have been a choice that was easily done. You know, it could have been something very easy where like she's brought to his to visit him growing up and you keep Sherry Moon zombie around a little bit longer in it overall. Right. I mean, you could have easily done that and not no. fundamentally change the nature of the movie at all and then have him go after his sister, but they don't do it. They're just like, Oh, well, she showed up at the house and I guess he smelled her. There's a sense of laziness that goes with a couple things in the film uh, or most of the things, but I, a couple things I'm about to say. The first one is earlier on the film. Like you're saying that you think Lori's about six months, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Michael and Judith's father has passed on. What about having a six-month-old baby? Would would uh, Michael's mom already be in a what seems like a very long-lasting relationship with Ronnie, who isn't the mm-hmm. father of the baby? You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's like that's a huge plot hole, and also like. Uh, the laziest thing I think to me is when Brackett explains Lori being Michael's sister. It's like, basically he abducted this baby. (laughs) He abducted this baby from a crime scene, drove her to another County and dropped her off at a hospital. And the Strodes happened to drive to another County wanting to adopt a kid. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it seems so like, it seems like, Oh, well, Rob, we need to explain this. Okay, hold on. I got about 60 seconds to write something. You know, like, right. I, I just don't buy it. No, it's, you know, and it just to me, it's like of all, if you're going to go out of your way to subvert so much of what Carpenter did, right? Yeah. And and I think in the book Taking Shape, they say, um, I'm going to read a little quote here. Uh, from taking shape overall and and they argue for what they think is i don't want to say the brilliance of the movie but maybe where the movie succeeds overall they say critics have accused zombie of not understanding what made carpenter's film work so well but this is clearly untrue i don't think that's the case i think that it's very true if he didn't understand If he didn't understand it, he wouldn't have been able to subvert it so thoroughly. The changes aren't arbitrary, but quite intentional. I agree with that. When Carpenter turns left, Zombie turns right, all in the effort to make Halloween his own, especially where Michael is concerned. 
Zombie understands the concept of the shape. He simply rejects it in favor of a more sympathetic portrayal of the slasher. Okay, so here's the deal. If you spend this whole – your whole reason to be – uh, and I understand that you're basically given this edict that you are going to remake John Carpenter's Halloween. And we mean you're going to really remake John Carpenter's Halloween. It's not quite a yeah. Gus Van Sant situation with Psycho, but it's close to it overall. And that comes from above. But if you're going to go out of your way to like zig where Carpenter zags every single time, the one thing that you're going to keep – the one element that you feel is essential to the vision that you have is the one where Carpenter is like, I basically, you know, banged out a sixer every single night over the keyboard, got a little bit buzzed and said, eh, we'll make him brother, sister. Well, did you ever see that interview that Carpenter did? I think <gasps> right around right around maybe the fog era, or it might've been like a little bit after that mm-hmm. where, where Carpenter was asked what his, he thought about Halloween too. Mm hmm. And he basically calls it like an abomination or a piece yeah. of crap. Mm-hmm. Like Carpenter regretted the sister thing so much. And zombie said that he had never seen any of the other ones except the first one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it seems like such a odd thing to keep from a movie that mm-hmm. he had never seen, you know, and it's also the most problematic thing of the series. Right. And I understand going right where Carpenter went left, but taking the most problematic thing of the series and running with it yet again mm-hmm. and making it a huge focal point. Like, it just seems odd to me. And I don't believe for a second that Zombie had never seen any other movies. I don't I either. Just, I don't mean, like, and again, like, I have a quote in front of me, like, hey, we are a research-based podcast, sorry. So for the interview with Noise Creep, he says, the mystique of the original Halloween had been trampled and flushed down the toilet by seven shitty sequels that followed Carpenter's movie. Myers has no mystique left. It was just a stuntman getting beat up by Buster Rhymes. I felt giving him backstory and presenting him in a new way was a much more legitimate approach. I mean, it's to me like you, you know, these movies and that's why when we, when we, when we say like, maybe he just didn't appreciate Carpenter's Halloween. I think it's a lot easier to swallow. Maybe he didn't appreciate anything that came after it. No, totally. And I, and that's what we're tearing down there. No, exactly. Uh, But I, I also feel at the same time that, Doing your own thing is one one thing, you know? But I also feel like the spirit of what made the other films so beloved to fans, at least keep the spirit intact. You know what I mean? At least keep something intact. I'm not asking for a carbon copy of the original because I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want mm-hmm. a Gus Van Zant, you know, psycho version of the original Halloween. I I I wanted something new. I wanted something original from Zombie. I'm just really bummed that the best film of all time, in my opinion, was turned into basically something I could go three streets down to the closest trailer park and witness in person. Like yeah. I didn't I didn't want to see a family reunion of mine with the shape involved. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Rob Zombie's Halloween and Sons of Anarchy are the same to me. It's just like, guys, I grew up with that family. Like, mm-hmm. this is not interesting to me at all. Yeah, I just think that he can't write any diversity in his characters at all. And I don't mean diversity from the sense we usually talk about, where we're like, we want persons of color and queerness and strong female characters. I just mean, like, he basically writes one character 
and just puts their dialogue in a dozen different mouths. It feels like most of the dialogue from Halloween could have been in a Rejects movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, especially, especially the kitchen scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like, that it's it feels like a it feels like a deleted scene from the devil's rejects they, mm-hmm. which is interesting because like the devil's rejects to me feels like you said a peck and paw movie overall it feels so much like a 19 it, it feels like a, it feels to me like texas chainsaw massacre yeah. overall in terms of the tone and the feel of that movie overall mm-hmm. um and, and again shot by the same person yeah, and I think that's the first movie that that Zombie does where you're expected to sympathize with the villains by the end. Mm-hmm. That the, the I, tables I, are turned. I think the the only film, and I'm not saying his only good film because I like I said I, I appreciate a good amount of his films very much. Mm-hmm. But I think the only film that he's done where he doesn't ask you to sympathize with the villains is Lords of Salem. Yeah, you know because okay, think of. House of a Thousand Corpses. Nobody is getting tattoos of Rain Wilson's character. You know what I mean? Rejects. Nobody cares about Banjo and Sullivan. You know, 31. You ask any fan of 31 what the best part of 31 is? Doomhead. Do you know what I mean? Like, he makes iconic villains even out of films where the villains shouldn't be iconic. I think Mm -hmm. Lords of Salem is the only film he's done where he doesn't ask you to do that. Right. No, I would agree with that overall. So I bookmarked a couple of tweets. We asked our readers, like right before we came on, we asked some listeners and we got a few. And I think we touched on every single thing here. But um, let's go through it really quick. From uh, Brian, uh, Brian Kuiper, that's at Brian D. Kuiper over on Twitter, our friend. And he appeared with us on our Halloween, no, two episode. Yep, that's right. My God, that was three months ago. Um, we are just chugging along here. So he would ask, why, oh, why keep Lori as Michael's little sister if you could start with a clean slate? Um, yeah, and we just discussed that. Basically, you know, we just we definitely wanted to cover that. That, to me, is a head-scratcher. Mm-hmm. Our buddy uh, Marcos Cotis from our Blair Witch Project episode, he says this is his favorite take in the series. Oh, Guys, I'm sorry, it's, Marcos. It's my favorite take on the series. I love the psychological evolution of the character. It gives tons of context. My main question is, why do people dislike it so much? And do you guys think it deserved hate? I am so uh, Marcos for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Marcos, if you skipped right to the part where you reread your tweet, I would go back and listen from the beginning. Um, I don't hate this movie. I think it's a fascinating movie. I love talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be happy if I never watch it again. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of the same. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, the first Rob Zombie Halloween is kind of like resurrection to me. Like, I'm glad it exists, you know, because it furthered the series. But with that being said, like, I am I I'm never in a rush to revisit those movies. It's like I'm glad colonoscopies exist because they can help detect cancer. I don't necessarily care. I still don't want one. Correct. Um, All right. At Woods Running, our friend Gareth at Woods Running, running through the woods. Uh, One thing that always bothers me is the female nudity. There's even this weird quick down pan down mm. just before or maybe during Linda's death. Overall, I respect the film more than I like it. And I think that's a good take. I think like yeah, I can 
respect the film more than I like it. Um, I think Gareth had asked, like, should he get the Blu-ray of the movie that had the four-hour making-of documentary? And you this know, is where did. you and I split. Yeah, he did, and he, and he loved that documentary. Yeah. And I you love that documentary, yeah, too. That, that's what's weird. Is I, I Sometimes I like documentaries more than the actual mm-hmm. film. I love Michael Lib's The Making of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Uh, I, I like it more than the film. What was it about it that you loved? I, I turned it off about two hours into it, and I'm just like, eh, it's boring. Well, for me, I mean, I'm so obsessed with just the whole process of filmmaking, so I, I like seeing, like, you know, like day in, day out kind of that stuff. It might be like monotonous to a lot of people, but like, that's another reason I loved 30 days, uh, 30 days in hell, the making of devil's rejects, because it was like a day by day account of Mm -hmm. everything having to do that, everything from pre-production to, you know, shooting to Mm post-production. And I I just, I, I, it's also, Michael lives is also a good documentary kind of about how Rob Zombie's brain works, because there's a lot of stuff day of shooting that it's following him and he's just like, Oh guys, this looks bad. We need to fix this. And he comes up with it right on the spot. It shows mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's ingenuity in that documentary. And that's one of the things I love about it. Mm-hmm. I think what I got from it, I never felt the sense of passion for wanting to do this job. It oh, almost I, like, I so yeah, it, it almost felt like from the get go, from the moment he signs on with it, he's like, all right, let's get this over with. Well, it's it's I, like when Halloween, in between Halloween and Halloween two, he wanted to make Tyrannosaurus Rex, which I mean was this down and dirty, down and dirty exploitation kind of like boxer movie, and you know Weinstein's and everyone kind of like blue balled him about making it nonstop until the finally the point like well you need to make another Halloween movie you know mm-hmm. and so he's just like all right I guess I'll do that instead of this yeah. passion project of mine and that's the right. that's an unfortunate thing that there are passion projects from Zombie. That I wish he would do. He wanted to do that. He wanted to do the Broad Street Bullies. He wants mm-hmm. to do a movie about the the later days of Groucho Marx's life. Right. Like those are the movies I want Rob to do. Right, and I I would see those movies. I oh, absolutely totally. would watch those movies overall. Um, I just found like when I was watching this, it I never got the sense that he was like excited to do this movie, and I found like. It, it didn't just come from him. It seemed like from the top down, nobody really wanted to make this movie, but there was business to be had. Does that make sense? Like it was like, we know that we can release something and we're going to make a lot of money making it. So we got to do it before someone beats us to the punch. Yeah. And I think when he signed up, it was a different vibe and passion from when he got on set because even though it doesn't go into detail about this stuff, you could tell he was extremely stressed during the making of Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, and he had, he had an even worse experience on the second movie. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I get where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, by the time he's done the second movie, he's like, I am never returning to this ever, 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 ever again. And I think that's like Lords of Salem is such a quiet movie in comparison to this overall. Um, and it's wonderful. Like I think Lords of Salem, like it's a toss up between Lords of Salem and devil's reject for me is his, I think his most accomplished movie. overall. I love, I love Lords of Salem because it's the Rob zombie movie that feels the least like Rob yeah. zombie for me. Like, the, you know, it's, it's all visual. The only thing that knocks it down for me is the last act of the movie when she goes into the opera house, where to me that last act becomes like an extended Rob Zombie music video. 
and it undoes a lot of the really good work before that overall. Some, some really interesting context into that is if you read the novel Lords of Salem that Rob wrote with another writer, mm-hmm. uh, you can tell that last act of the film was because of a lack of budget and a, la- a budget getting cut more and more. Mm-hmm. as a I mean, he cut com- entire roles out of that. And the book, the book's ending is so much better. I mean, it has basically sherry gets martyred and torn apart to shreds and like there's so much more to it it's it's such a different experience the book of lords of salem Mm -hmm. i'll have to i think i'll have to seek that out then i'd be interested because to me it's not the budget that makes it not work for me to me it's just like it becomes goes from this really quiet character driven piece to like this really weird existential rock video. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I know it's described as this like kind of, um, big swing towards like Italian horror. And I've never been able to make it more than 20 minutes into Suspiria. Uh, I love the remake, but I have tried four times to watch Argento Suspiria and I get like an extra, maybe three or four minutes in every time, but I've never made it past like the 20 minute mark. I'm like, oh, wow. eh, this is, this is not for me. Yeah. Um, which come at me, everybody. Like, I know, like I should appreciate it more. Um, and I think maybe it's just like that style's not for me. All right. So I think that, I think at this point we can put a pin on our discussion. Oh my goodness. We got two and a half hours here. Just you and I chatting about Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um, so we have two movies left. We have Rob Zombie's Halloween two, and what are your your second favorite entry into the series? Um, the 2018 yeah. Blumhouse Halloween. Yeah, yeah, David Gordon Green's film. I, I definitely get a lot of flack for that. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I love Halloween uh, three, four, and five with a passion. I think mm-hmm. they're great movies, but I've always been very vocal in saying that even though I love those movies, I don't consider them good sequels to the original. I just consider them good movies on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Gordon Green's film, I consider a wonderful sequel. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to talk about that one. So that's what we have coming up uh, in terms of the movies we're going to cover. We're still going to be doing our Deborah Hill appreciation um, with Heather Buckley. We just need to make our schedules work. Uh, we'll still have the music episode. I believe we're also going to have one of the writers from Taking Shape on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're actually just talking about scheduling with that yeah. uh, in the next couple of days. So. Not, no- or the next couple of days, but we're going to talk about schedule. We may combine all three of those into one major episode yes. at that point. Just give, you know, just like we'll record them as we go and then release them all at once as like one app. We'll see how that goes. Um, after that, we're done Halloween. We need to figure out where we're going next. And we have a bunch of different guests lined up for different series. Um, I think what's in the running, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, we need like a quick and dirty one, like Joyride, The Lost Boys, uh, are they the two kind of quick and easy ones we can kind of do? I want to get to Alien, the Alien franchise, sooner yeah. than later. I um, honestly, I would love to do Alien next as our big series, but yeah, definitely a small one first. Yeah. We need we need something that doesn't require like hours of reading and research to do. Right. Uh, and I just ordered the Lost Boys um, three DVD set for like twelve bucks. So I oh, think God. that might I might put my foot down and you know hold what, let's my do breath it. until we do let's, that. So uh, let's do it. Let's, and let's I know just we have guests. 
I know we have guests for that. Uh, I'm going to throw it out there. How do we feel about like a Christmas movie that we release on Christmas Day? I think that would be perfect. Do you have any preferences? You know what's interesting is as far as Christmas. Don't say Die Hard. Don't say Die Hard. Right. As far as Christmas movies, a lot of my favorite Christmas horror movies are are franchises. Which (laughs) oh no, I'm not saying a Christmas horror movie. Oh, just I'm a Christmas movie in general. Christmas, a, a complete, you know, like we're going to do what Rob Zombie did right here. We're going to zig where uh, our podcast usually zags. I'm saying like, let's do like, it's a wonderful fucking life. Okay. okay. Uh, and here Mike my weep picks. like a baby. These are my picks. It's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Gremlins or love actually. Gremlins. Okay. So how about this? Let's, let's put a wonderful life. Love Actually, or A Muppet Christmas Carol up to vote for our listeners. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, I love A Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, I, I, I love Michael Caine. I am convinced that he was on so much peyote during the shooting of that movie with the Muppets. I am absolutely convinced he was high as balls during the whole shooting of A Muppet Christmas Carol. Dude, I think that's the one then. Oh, oh, we'll put it to vote. We'll put it to vote with our listeners. And I'm not saying that that's what we're going to absolutely do, but you know, like I will get some feedback. All right. So for our listeners, definitely, you know, where you can find us is usually over on Twitter. Jerry, you are at Jerry is just okay. That is me. That is you. All right. Yes. I'm sorry. I posed that as a question, but I guess it came out as a statement. Um, Yes. Yes. That's like me. It's getting late, folks. Um, I am over. I basically am over at Mike underscore Snoonian or Pod and Pendulum. I am usually the one pissing people off online right now. And I'm really trying. I'm really trying hard not to at this point and maybe keep them separate a little bit. But sometimes I can't help myself. And we interact with everybody. Yes. Um, so those are the best two places to find us. Um, Jerry, you just have a review up right now. You have a review of um, the new Black Christmas over on Dread Central, which I think people yeah. should read. It was a fan-fucking-tastic piece of writing. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much. Give me your 30 seconds spiel. What did you think of Black Christmas? You know, going, this is 30 seconds. I'm ready to go. Hit the ground running. You know, a lot of people will come out of Black Christmas. Uh, uh, you know, a friend of mine that went to the theater with my wife and I to see it walked out saying, man, men are all evil. That's the message of this movie. Mm-hmm. That is not the message of Black Christmas. No. What Black Christmas is, is a movie that says women can do the job themselves. They don't need us as their heroes. They need us as their allies. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. is a film. It is a film about women taking control of their fate. And mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of it for that. It subverts anything that you would expect from a black Christmas remake. And I mean that as the highest compliment, I would yeah. watch it. Great performances, great tension. One of the best homages to the exorcist three, go watch it. Yeah. I was, I, I just caught it today. I enjoyed it. And I would say if you're somebody that is walking out of that movie, saying this movie does a disservice to men. If you're someone or like, I don't know men that are like, if, if you're something that gets angered by, if you're angry at the way this film depicts men, don't hop on Twitter and write a screed. Don't attack female critics, by the way, that are enjoying this movie or women that are enjoying this movie, which is a trend that's going on right now. But ask yourself, really ask yourself why 
why are you so angry about that depiction? And, and I think your answer is going to say a lot about you. But anyway, that's where we're at right now. I know we'll get to that at some point in the future, maybe in 2020. Um, but for our listeners, thanks. We would love to hear what you think about our take on Rob Zombie's Halloween. And we will chat with everybody soon.